The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five rematches in MMA with special guest Aaron Bronstetter. As per usual, we went deep, ladies and gentlemen. Strapping. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find at MMAJunkie.com as well as MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're gonna do here today, but in a slightly different way. It is a top five episode. That's right. It's so crazy. We just ended a nine-week UFC schedule stretch. Here And uh, you, you get a little bit of room to breathe, and I like to take that time to reflect. It, it can get a little bit boring with the breakdowns and always looking ahead. It's always important to reflect, and for that, of course, I have a co-host to help me. And it's a first-time co-host, uh, a gentleman who uh, I've been wanting to get on for a while. I'm sure you know him if you follow the MMA world. It is Aaron Bronstetter from TSN Canada, at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter. What, what's up, Aaron? What's up, Dan? How's it going? That's a, it's an honor to be on the show. I'm a weekly listener. That, that 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 means a lot, and it's also a scary reminder that people actually listen to this show. And I, I better uh, I better 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 watch myself. But no, no, just kidding, man. It, it, that that's a huge compliment coming from you, man. I, I appreciate it. And uh, I recently started subscribing to your podcast. Uh, I don't want to butcher the name, but I essentially typed in you know TSN uh, TSN MMA uh, radio, I believe, and it, it was the first search if you looked in iTunes. But uh, why don't you come uh, correct me here and and let my listeners know where, where they can. They can, they can find you for your own podcast. Yeah, it's the TSN MMA show. You can find it wherever, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, it's myself and Bazooka Joe Bavlinga, former welterweight champion of the world in glory. Yep, yep. Yeah, you guys kill it, man. Even on your uh, on your solo ones are good. You had a really good interview with uh, Cowboy. Uh, and, you, you know, I say that because Cowboy is a guy we, we talk, you know, we, we know, we all know so well. And we've heard how many interviews from him. But, uh, but man, you're doing a great job over there, so I just wanted to make sure I give you that shout before I forget. Much appreciated, my friend. No worries. All right, so like I said, it's a top five episode, uh, and this week we're going to do top five rematches, which I thought was going to be super easy right off the top because it's pretty clear-cut rematches. It's, it's the second fight. Sometimes uh, they can be called for immediately because the first one was controversial, or sometimes they don't happen to down the road. E- either is acceptable. Of course, the rules in this show, like I was explaining to Aaron beforehand, is it's not too hard and fast. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility. If you want to get creative and you feel like there's a justified pick, go ahead. You know, um, as far as bending the word of definition rematch, and I'll, I guess I'll kind of leave it at that. But, uh, before I bounce it to you, Aaron, I guess what I'm trying to say here is is it was a little, not difficult, but it was, I, I'm not sure if you ran into the same things where I would be researching something and you're like, wait, the first fight was actually better than the second fight, so that cancels it. Or wait, there was a third fight, and then you go back and rewatch, and you're like, you know what, that third fight actually was the better of all three of the fights, which is even more rare, but, but uh, were you running into stuff like that too when you were doing your research, Aaron? Yeah, that absolutely happened. And there were some where I feel like the second fight and the first fight were pretty close to being on par. Uh, but you know what, when I, when I finished the top five list, I was very happy with how it shook out. I, I didn't have any that I was like, yeah, I really want to include this 
but I can't. I feel like the five that I came up with are are good. I'm happy with it. It took a while, but I'm happy with it. And like you said, I've got a bit of a criteria. I wanted to make sure that the rematch was better than the first one. I wanted to take into account the stakes, and I wanted to count, uh, take into account um, just the, the craziness factor, the wow factor. So that's kind of how I came up with my criteria for what I wanted on the list. Awesome. No, that's perfect. You, you said it. You said it right. And you know, and sometimes there can be a personal story attached that makes it all the better too. Where it, it could be something that maybe wouldn't be on someone's list, but. You know, you have your own personal experience, whether you watching with friends or as I have, you know, uh, I tend to have a, a lot of media people or media savvy people like yourself where, you know, you're covering event. And as you know, I'm sure you have a, a, a thousand stories from already from just the events you've covered of little tidbits and little cool moments that that kind of stick with you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. The experience is part of it, too. Like I, if I go back sometimes and I watch Silver versus Stunning, the first one. Yeah. And when I'm watching it now, it's like, wow, this is a this is good, but it's you know it's not super interesting. But at the time when you watched it, given how Silva had never been touched by anybody, like he was he was so dominant when that was happening, it was blowing your mind. Now when you watch it back and you've seen Silva lose since then, subsequently, like it, it doesn't have the same oomph as it did back then. So I took that into account also. Like I tried to uh, disconnect from it personally. Because there was one fight that I, I loved at the time, and watching it, it was like a, such a thrill ride. Now, when I watched it back recently, I was like, eh, it's, it still holds up, but not quite in the same way. I love that you mentioned that, because, yeah, I mean, and then that's one of the fun parts of, of doing these top five lists, because you have to go so far back in history to even if you're a hardcore fan and you, and you have a pretty decent memory like yourself, or, or at least think you do, you go back and you're like, oh, wait a minute, you either get what you said or, and I don't want to overly tease because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start off here in a second or you get the opposite where i have one on my list aaron and i'll, I'll reveal it when we get to it where i was like do i want to put this on my list at first is this me just thinking of it because it seems like a gimme it seems like i should it should be on the list because again it's it's a real fine line between what should be on the top five to what's your top five and i always encourage your top five but the truth is when i went back to watch that fight it gave me hardcore goosebumps like i don't remember like feeling this way and I'm like, okay, this is definitely on the list. So it works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one that I left off that I feel would be on almost everybody's list, but whatever. We'll, we'll let's get started. Let's yeah, go. yeah. Same here. I, I have a I have a guilty admission. I, I want to hear your too, list. So, so, but I, I I feel like there's a defense to it. We'll get into it. Um, we like to kind of you know we'll do Chinese fire drills and we'll switch who leads off. Uh, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure if we'll even need to take a break, which a break will be very quick on both listener and RN when those happen. But you, you, you shout at me anytime if you have to break for anything, uh, whether it's nature or work related, sir. Um, but uh, we like to go from five to one on this show. And then, of course, we do our submissions and transitions. That's where your listener lists get addressed. And, and we'll we'll have honorable mentions to clean up. But we start off from number five. I usually like to hand the steering wheel over to the guest, Aaron. So if you don't mind, uh, would, would you mind kicking off our top five rematches with your number five? Yeah, absolutely. Now, this was part of a trilogy, but I thought the second fight, the first rematch, was the best out of all of them. And it's uh, Josh Thompson versus Gilbert Melendez, number two. So Cross, two champions at the time. Crossover, but please uh, set it up, man. I, I, I set it up, and I'll join in later. But the, we have beautiful crossover. <laughs> number five as well. So perfect. Oh, Continue awesome. the setup, right. sir. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say that. All right, two champions at the time, interim versus, uh, I guess, disputed champion. Uh, Thompson being the uh, disputed champion because Melendez was the interim at the time. Thompson coming off a bit of a layoff. And uh, Thompson uh, just dominated Melendez in the first outing. And But from there, Melendez, you, you got to kind of see his progression. He was getting better and better and better. So the fight starts off. Uh, 
some pretty wild flurries from the get-go that I, I felt like Melendez was getting the better of. Mm-hmm. Frank Shamrock, who sh- it should be noted was kind of an AKA guy, said that Thompson won the first round, but I don't think that was the case. Uh, then Melendez goes after him in the second, drops him. They get into some crazy exchanges, tons of pocket striking. Uh, Thompson has some success with his kicks. But uh, Melendez keeps pursuing him. And, uh, you know, the fight's just such a good reminder of how good Melendez was in his prime. His counters were unbelievable. He was making Thompson pay for absolutely every attempt to get the upper hand. And then they get into that wild exchange at the end of the second where Melendez uh, Melendez drops Thompson with that slick uppercut. Uh, Thompson was coming in. He got hit. Then uh, the third round kind of started off a bit slower. Melendez kept doing good work, scored on the judges' scorecards. Um, you know, he was doing great work with the jab. Uh, Thompson set up some nice combos, but clear round for Melendez. Fourth round starts, great exchange. Thompson lands the takedown. Melendez gets up. They get into another firefight, uh, very back and forth round. Thompson was the aggressor, but Melendez had some slick counters. And Melendez ends the round, getting the better of some pretty wild exchanges back and forth. Then, of course, the fifth round. Shamrock tells Morrow Thompson needs a finish, predicts a trilogy fight. Thompson's pushing forward with reckless abandon. He knows that he needs the finish. Melendez is answering everything that he's getting thrown at him. Um, Melendez then drops Thompson two minutes into the round, controls him from top, but Thompson gets up. They keep trading back and forth. It's just a crazy round. And Thompson uh, gets a late takedown, gets Melendez's back, but Melendez quickly reverses it. Another wild exchange to end the fight. And the craziest part is they, they show the stats at the end. Melendez threw 467 punches in the fight, which is like almost 100 punches attempted per round. Absolutely unreal. Uh, Melendez calls Thompson the toughest opponent he'll ever have after uh, he wins unanimous decision. And Thompson makes it clear that Gilbert was the better man. The layoff wasn't the factor. They hug. They, they used to train together. So there's some love there. And Quadros calls for the chip trilogy after interviewing both of them. Uh, just an unbelievable fight. That one gave me goosebumps. And I remember watching it the first time and was like, and I thought it was just such an unbelievable fight. But rewatching it, it holds up for sure. As a lot of the older fights I found didn't hold up quite as well now that we know what MMA is capable of. Right. And I don't know if you felt the same way about that. I, I looked at so many of the older fights that I thought were part of, like, really, really great rematches. But I found that when you watch kind of a higher level of MMA, as, as modern MMA is, uh, as much as the diehards will hate to hear me say that, I felt that a lot of the more modern rematches were were better. But, uh, yeah, that one held up for sure. And, uh, you know what, I've also got to commend Strikeforce and having such great production quality. And Moro yeah. as a commentator got yes. me really into the fights and fired oh, up. Yeah. And I was producing for Moro at that time uh, back uh, when we worked together oh, nice. with the score. Yeah. Um, but Moro is, is just so good at his job and so good at getting the viewer involved and, and emotionally invested in the fight. But the, the production quality overall from show, um, Showtime is really phenomenal uh, for Strikeforce. And I, I had forgotten that until I went back and watched this one. And it was so cool because at the time it was, it was the beginning of that. You know, they were really starting to finally stamp uh, San Jose as their home, the HP Pavilion, the Shark Tank. And I would argue that fight really cemented uh, kind of that audience and why why – you know, guys like Coker would, would 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 still go there even under the the flag of Bellator now. And I'm really glad, great play by play. And I had to do similar notes because again, this one will end up. Uh, it made my list, so it'll end up on the truncated version. I'm a MMA junkie where the videos are at, and you know, I try to make it easier for the video guys and point out where the action is. And for me, it's that end exchange in round two. I mean, uh, anybody, you know, whether you were watching MMA at that time or not, and even in a lot of the highlights since, like uh, whether it's a Gil Melendez highlight video. Or one of my favorite ones, that on this team, uh, Gracie fight team uh, highlight video, where it has the Al Pacino overlay uh, from the football movie, Any Given Sunday. But it's showing uh, all the, like, the, the scrap pack, Diaz, and 
Shields and Caesar Gracie and, and Gilbert Melendez, and they always have that end exchange uh, that Aaron mentioned where he drops him with the uppercut. Gil has his back to the cage, and my earliest memories of Gil were like around this time. And as well as um, going back and watching those Rumble in the Rocks, you know, you see that really, and he, a lot of those were at 170 even, but you see that really, sh- you know, Gil has that really moppy hair. And so it almost really um, expresses even more so when he would, you know, kind of bury his head down and swing hooks and just go, go Mexican brawler. I loved it. And you're right, but he was really, he was doing some sharp counters in there. And, and I think there were some 48, 47 scorecards, but I had it 49, 46. I narrowly gave Thompson the fourth, not by much. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then the commentary, great notes there, Aaron, because, you know, we, we, we're so quick to criticize, um, commentary. I do it myself. And now it's even to the point where, and not to timestamp this too much, where like, I'll watch a post fight show from an event or something like that. And I won't have an issue with it. I'll go to sleep. And then like, I took Sunday off. I come back on Monday and I find out there's all this fallout from this post fight show interview. I'm like, what the fuck did I miss? And I go back and watch it. I'm like, oh, I saw the same thing everybody else did. We're so hardcore on it. But if you go back and watch, even like guys like Quadros, uh, who I would argue was one of my favorite. I've become less of a fan of the third man in the booth, Aaron. But when we talk about those examples, uh, modern day, I point to I think Cruz would make him more of a good third man, Dominic Cruz. I know a lot of people have mixed feelings of him in the booth as opposed to him on the desk. But I think like Quadros was a great third man back in the day. But he was pretty brutal, like the way he. Uh, Morrow, of course, I'm a big fan. He saved the broadcast. It was perfect for that fight. Because uh, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. But like you said, Aaron, it, this one wasn't quite modern day MMA. It was right in the middle. It still holds up. But I feel like Morrow's call of it really helps, especially the kind of exchanges they were happening and how Morrow commentates. It blended perfectly. But yeah, man, you had Frank Shamrock kind of homering in the beginning. And I don't know if you noticed, Aaron, but he kind of started overcorrecting the steering wheel and almost coming hard. <laughs> he at did. Thompson yeah. At the end. Did you catch that? <laughs> I did, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned Quadros. His post-fight interview was lousy. I hate to say it. I like Quadros also. But he asked Melendez, like, one question and then asked Thompson three questions. Like, what, what are you doing, dude? And, and they weren't even, like, nice the way he framed it to Thompson. Like, you just lost your butt. I can't even remember how he did it, but it was really, like, cold. And the, the best part about it is I forgot about this, Aaron. I mean, uh, But Thompson gives, like, one of the best, most humble uh, post-fight speeches as a champion I've seen lose his belt. Like, so much respect there. Oh, it was amazing. Just, it was yeah. awesome. That amazing. Was, people should go back and watch just for that. But, but And then, and then he, prior, you see him having a moment with uh, Gilbert Melendez's father, who's his manager at the time. And I, I was able to meet him recently. He's actually, uh, you know, he's got a good, good rapport with um, my, my co-host, George and Goes, on Junkie Radio. And they say it. I've heard a bunch of other people say it. Dude, Gil Melendez's dad's like one of the nicest dudes on the planet. And uh, I always love kind of like what we saw with Woodley's mom and her past opponents. Um, you know, Gil Melendez's dad's kind of having a moment with Josh Thompson to kind of catch on camera. Not not the audio, but and I, I think that's also another reason why Josh is just so uh, giving so much love to their team, and, and it's awesome to see. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I just love that. I loved everything about that fight. It was awesome, and I'm glad that we both had it at number five. I'm I'm wondering if maybe we're gonna have the same list from five to one. What do you think? Do you think it's possible? I, I expect a crossover. Um, I, I had crossover at two, so I guess we got one out of the way according to my my Vegas odds, but. <laughs> But man, it's 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 not a surprise, and that actually makes me feel good. I love when there's crossover on the same one. One, it doesn't mess up the order too much. In fact, we can actually use this opportunity to change up. I'll I'll go ahead and give my number four in a second here. But uh, can I cut you off? Great. If no, crossover? please, please, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Really sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm I'm I like it. I'm curious if I can do the same. That's all. I mean, I'm in your home right now. Yeah. No. No. Sometimes. Sometimes I'll I'll, I'll let the person play out, and then I'll kind of go. That was mine too. After they're done, but uh, 
But uh, I, I felt very game show like, and but no, you did a great man. You, it was like volleyball. You you uh, you served it up and and I spiked it down, and that's how I like to do it when we double dive into one. And and that just hey, that just reaffirms our pick there. So that was awesome, man. Good stuff. All right, um, I'll take the steering wheel, I guess, since since we had that that crossover, and I'll just I'll, I'll go into my number four. Um, it's funny, man. This. Uh, this one, you think it would rank higher because this is the one I was referencing to earlier in the podcast, Aaron, where I was like, you know, am I putting this one on just because it just feels like it's right? And I actually ended up getting crazy. I knew it was a good rematch, but I just I, like I, I, I reacted to this one. It gave me the most visceral reaction or, or, if, or, or the most goosebumps, I should say, um, than any of my other rewatches, rewatches. And that was UFC 168, which was headlined by a rematch. It was a top 15 pay-per-view of all time still to this day, probably because of that headline rematch. But my rematch came in the co-main event, and that was Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate 2. Um, yeah, it didn't make my list, but uh, I, uh, I, I have fond memories of that one. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, no no problem at all. The, 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 totally, totally fine. And I wasn't sure if it was going to make my list too, kind of like I said at the top. But I go back and rewatch it, and, and it's not even the. Uh, I can even take the, uh, uh, you know, Robert Follis, who this was actually his first camp with Misha at the time. Um, like out of the equation, obviously, you know, I, you know, always, always near and dear to the heart. Whether it's uh, coaches that I knew well, or even ones that I didn't know, you know as well, like the late great Sean Tompkins, or for some Canadian love there. It's always kind of cool to go back and see these moments and these intense moments on the battlefield, right? And as we go on, another reason why it's good to revisit, you know, whether it's coaches or fighters, people, people, be, people be dropping off every year in this sport, man. And uh, so it's, it's good to go back and remember. But the first fight happened in Strike Force for people that don't remember. Um, Ronda Rousey actually came from 145, came out of nowhere, beat some names at 145. I was, I was there and actually heard the arm pop when she, I think it was Julia Budd, because it was in that, I don't know if you ever went to. Have you ever covered or been to an event here at the Palms, uh, the Palms in the Vegas? Era? Yeah, I love the Palms. Yeah. I've only been to one event, but it was amazing. You, it was the Adesanya and Tavares fight, recently, I think, last year. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, it's such an amazing venue. I wish I could go to more events there. So you know what I'm talking about when, I'm, you mean, when, when I reference the sound, it's as clear as day. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. It's, it's such a good ambiance there. Yeah, it's not just the size. It's, it's actually the actual acoustics because of how it's designed, too. So it actually works oddly too well for a mixed martial arts contest or anybody Next time they do an event there, whether you're a Vegas local, you're listening to this, and you're coming into a town for an event, um, and they have one of those kind of like Aaron said, where they have the the you know big fight weekends and the first card there, it's worth it, uh, and those sell out fast because the the, the the you know they're, they're small and, and the words out, but uh, yeah, Rousey sets up this fight with Tate and kind of comes out of nowhere, right? And she, Tate's like, "Who's this girl? She's unproven." I don't even know if she made 135 yet at the time. Of course, they put it together. And Rousey does what Rousey does. She gets the jump on Misha. And it was one of the most gruesome arm breaks. And um, and it was weird because, you know, uh, I, I was a bit torn. You know, you Misha Tate, who at this time she wasn't fully at Extreme Couture. They were kind of transitioning down. But Ronda Rousey, I actually felt like I had to be a fan of hers in the beginning because I actually kind of ironically have a, a similar link to lineage. Obviously, my, my main grappling coach was Neil Melanson. And he uh, and he comes from highest end lineage. Uh, you know, he was actually awarded his black belt from Carl Parisian, only person from that. But Carl and that overall lineage was all highest end, and they were of course linked. Gene uh, Labelle and Gokor, right? That that's kind of the link and lineage there is what I'm uh, trailing to. So 
we all in the gym kind of had a quiet thing. We're like, hey, that's one of ours, you know, when Ronda was kind of making her rise. But you see kind of how she won. And this was kind of the first glimpse of it. And uh, feel free to jump in any time here. But, you, you know, you see kind of the glimpses of how she won in that fight. And then, of course, it proceeds. And you have the tough setup, which, of course, was supposed to be Kat Zingano. Now we've moved over to the UFC. Ronda Rousey's just riding the rocket, right? And, of course, Misha comes in. We get that classic, oh, what, you're coaching? And we start to see it all unfold. And I, I'm not the biggest bad blood guy, but I feel like regardless of your thoughts on this, when you, it was really important, I think, to kind of set up this rematch. I mean, do you remember the, 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 the tone at the time as far? I mean, because this was a kind of a long, ongoing oh, for story. Sure. Yeah, Ronda hated every second of being on top. She hated it from the moment that Misha walked through that door and they vilified her on the show. I don't, I don't understand why they would do that with one of their most marketable stars, but they actually made her almost turn heel. Yeah. From uh, what, you know, but Misha was so smug about some things and you almost had like, you almost had to pick a side. Yes, it was, yeah. Uh, it was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I, I uh, you know, I, <laughs> let's just, <clears throat> I guess it's easy to say I'm biased toward Misha on the outside, but. Speaking honestly, I could definitely see the smugness. I could definitely see attributes that would piss someone off about her. And I'm trying to be mean. I'm trying to be fair. Okay. But at the same time, you know, I actually uh, knew and, and would talk to producer from that show and that series years later. And the horror stories. Apparently, they had no choice. Apparently, they got, we got the good version of Ronda, let's just say. From that show, so oh wow, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, maybe more. Well, you'll have to you'll later. have to tell me some stuff. Uh, yeah, later. At a later date. Yeah, later date. That's the more later date <laughs> thing, Aaron. But uh, but yeah, so let's just say that. And now we get you know to to, to the fight, and it was great. I think the UFC did. A, I can't remember the promo exactly, but because there was a lot of the Weidman Silva two promo going, but there was a there was a strong push for this fight as well, and it felt big, and it was entertaining. Ronda was running through people at the time. I mean, the criticisms weren't really there. Even the striking ones where we go back and watch, this is the excuse me, this is the first fight where we start to see it in that first round, especially about midway toward the end, like Misha starts tagging Ronda. Now, again, I'm sure you're going to get this with a lot of years, Aaron, but when you went back to watch it, you start seeing things like, I probably should have saw that in hindsight. You know, this guy gets knocked <laughs> yeah. out later after this fight. Wow, why didn't I see this coming, right? And you see all these little telltales, and there was a lot of that. Like, Misha was doing really good. She was winning, and if you remember, the only reason why she would get taken down is because she would go for the takedowns and then get reversed with the yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh And it was uh, the first round was really back and forth. The second round, a little more dominant from Ronda. R- Ronda. And then Misha kind of comes guns out in the third, and... Uh, and ends up still getting uh, still getting caught and taps quick and of course we have the uh, infamous the handshake yeah, yes. the, the the lack of handshake <laughs> and uh, and yeah man it just was it, it, this was a real I think so many ways from the striking to the 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 bad winnership how a sore lo- you know however you want to call it not she wasn't a sore loser sportsmanship yeah, yeah sportsmanship. sportsmanship and yeah. Uh, I think I think this fight is just kind of one of those huge turning points for Ronda, but also for the sport, it was an important one for the division. I think this is going to age like wine in the sense of it's a, it's still a high, like we criticize women fights and you see people criticize women fights even today, right on Twitter, when some of them are going on like, Oh my gosh, how did this, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's what it is. But even those people could go back and watch that fight. I'm like that's a high level uh, women's fight right there. And I, it still held up for me and, and earned a spot on my number four. Yeah, for sure. I don't have any female fights on my top five, but uh, I think that might just be because it's not. I mean, it's still fairly recent, right? Yeah, it's tough. Women's yeah. MMA. There aren't that many rematches to choose from, but that's a, that's a good one because I remember watching that and I remember thinking, "Well, Misha's having a little bit of success here," but I never felt like Ronda was in, in any real trouble. You're right, though. Like the crazy thing about that is, like Misha, knowing what we know now about Misha, 
might have been able to finish her if she would have had a little bit more success in the striking, knowing that, that we had those holes in Ronda's game. So I don't know. Like maybe if, if she hadn't lost the first time and had a bit more confidence going into that and more, more faith in her striking and not, not have the desire to try to take Ronda down, maybe she would have won that fight. But uh, again, that's all hindsight being twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, try, trying to prove a point. She said her game plan was to strike, but if she did try to grapple, to not be afraid of it. And I think she overdid it uh, and was a little bit preemptive on the latter part there and was just kind of uh, over eager to show she wasn't afraid of it. And maybe, like you said, Eric, could, the, the first fight could have a lot to do with it. You know, a lot of that ego, right? To show that, you know, because it was a personal match too, to show that, oh, it was a fluke. You're not going to get me again. Unless we forget a girl who was killing it, one of my favorite female fighters, Marluz Kunin, who was just killing it from her guard. Um, her run came, her run recently came to an end not too far before that from Misha Tate, escaping submissions and eventually getting her own. So it wasn't like she never had success against that, that style of, of fighter per se, but, but yeah, you're right. Who know who knows? But, but, uh, it, 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 it surprisingly ended up making my list. Okay. Well, my, my number four is a very recent fight and I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe there's recency bias. I should go back and watch it, but it turns out there wasn't. It's a uh, Whitaker versus Romero too, from uh, UFC 225 back in June. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the first round of that one is it's just all Whitaker. Like Whitaker's putting volume on Romero. And the crazy thing about Romero's career is his only first round finish is against Clifford Starks in his UFC debut. He has seven finishes, zero second round finishes and one first round finish. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, so he's a, he's a slow starter, and Whitaker took advantage of that. He was putting a bunch of volume on him. Uh, and then in the second round, Whitaker does more of the same, more volume, better shots. He's dictating the pace. Whitaker pieces him up, and he, he nails him with a really nice head kick that slaps the side of Romero's head. And uh, the commentators throughout the second round were talking about how terrible Romero looked at weigh-ins, but yeah. how Whitaker really shouldn't sleep on him regardless of Romero looking really slow. Then the third round, which is Romero's round always. I don't know if Romero's ever lost the third round. So he's... Um, he drops uh, Whitaker in the first 30 seconds. Uh, then, you know, Whitaker tries to advance towards him, and he gets thrown to the ground like a child. Basically, it wasn't even really a wrestling. Like, he basically grabbed his hips and threw him. Like, threw him across, threw him across the cage, and Whitaker <laughs> goes down, starts nailing him with elbows, uses a Camaro trap to, to sweep, uh, you know, keeps going after Whitaker, um, who really looks like he doesn't know what hit him there. Like, he, he drops Whitaker, and it was clearly a flash knockdown because Whitaker looks like he's dazed. Uh, and then Romero just keeps going after him. He's cornering and he's nailing with elbows. You know, Whitaker then uh, turns the tide after Romero's like throwing the kitchen sink at him. But Romero starts to tire out a little bit. Um, but Romero, again, like he, he turns it around. He's piecing Whitaker up in the corner. But I think this one kick, Whitaker lands one massive head kick in that round. Doesn't drop Romero or anything. But I think that's the thing that might have prevented him from being a 10-8 round. Like a, like a surefire 10-8 round. Yeah, yes. it, I think it's, I think that round. And elbow. I think he lands an elbow round. as well. He lands an elbow as well. Yeah. An elbow and a head kick at two different points to show that he was fighting back enough and doing damage enough. But yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And then Romero gets him back into the corner, lands a big left at the end of the round. Oh. Um, and, and like to me, that was a 10-8 round. Uh, then Romero, he chills for the first half of the fourth round. He's just hanging out and, and trying to regain some of that energy. He's, he threw the kitchen sink at him in the third. And, uh, you know, Whit- Whitaker's, um, you know, he's piecing him up. He's, he's landing a bunch of volume, probably a coin toss round. But then the round at the very end, uh, Romero wobbles Whitaker again, yeah. big left at the end of the round. And then and another strike nearly drops him, but Whitaker stays on his feet. And I think almost, I think all the judges, except for one, gave, Whit- gave Whitaker that round. 
Uh, I think Saul Amato gave, gave Romero that round, if I'm not mistaken. And then fifth round, Romero drops Whitaker again. Big Dan taking a look as to whether he should stop the fight. Romero's controlling Whitaker on the ground, landing tons of ground strikes. Whitaker gets up. Romero takes him down again and again. He's punishing him. That should have been a 10-8 round, and it's a disgrace it wasn't on a single judge's scorecard. It was a total blowout. Like, I think Whitaker yeah, went that, single that, that's strikes what I and Romero. Most issue with. Yeah, that's yeah. what I have most issue with. So Rogan, after the fight, he's like, you know, that, that could have been a 10-8 round. There's two rounds that could have been a 10-8 round, but not a single judge gives any of the rounds a 10-8. That is insane, yeah. And that, that, yeah. that discredits it even more, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. it's not that you can't come to a draw or come to even make an argument for Whitaker. It's that the fact that how they not didn't give those 10-8s really kind of just, just further discredits them. But yeah, yeah, I, sure. I, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then it's a middleweight fight. Nearly 600 significant strikes are attempted between the two guys, which is absurd at that high of a weight class. I had it 48-46 Romero. Um, Scorecards are red. Romero looks heartbroken. It's a split decision for Whitaker. And uh, just an unbelievable rematch. I I love that rematch. I loved it when I was watching it live. I was really into it. I was, like, at the venue at the time. Uh, that was one of the rare ones where they actually put the uh, the rights holder media in the same room with all the other uh, media members. So um, I was watching it with them, and uh, like the the atmosphere in that room was crazy. And that's why wow. I had to go back and watch it because I was like, I was like, did I am I am I forgetting? How, <laughs> you know, did I did I read a little bit too much into how good that fight was? And I actually think I enjoyed it more the next like this time around, which is pretty crazy. Um, but I was also watching it back, knowing what the result was. I was like, I, these judges got that one so wrong. Like they, they robbed. Like I don't use robbery very often. That was a robbery, in my opinion. Yeah, I had it as a, a as a as a either a draw or Romero winning going into it, and uh, I didn't have a, a scenario in my head um, where Whitaker won it. Although I will say, uh, again, it comes down to the ten eights. I will say that I I do I would still you know I don't know if I would have in, on rewatch, but uh, live I, I could could totally see myself being one of the judges to give Whitaker the fourth because I'm not a big fan of stealing rounds. It's become such a, you know, I heard a Barnett talking about it in a recent interview, not, not this specific, but just how formulaic it is now. If you know what you're doing, how to throw a lot of fluff out there and there are teams that are and to their credit, like Jackson Wink, who are the Kings of it, right? They're the Kings of round winning, whether it's takedowns, late flurry, save your spinning shit for the end, because we've seen it. You can throw spinning shit and not land. And that went around. Uh, obviously I think most people would be on that, you know, if explained and have to, you know, if they can have an eye for an exchange, I think they would agree with that. But there is the wobbling. It was a legitimate shot that Romero, no doubt. But I just, I, I still favor volume. For me, the tipping point, if Whitaker were to have gone down, then I say give him that round. And the fight I'll reference is UFC 211, I believe, that happened was uh, Enrique Barzola versus uh, Gabriel Benitez. And uh, and it was, yeah, I, I believe, and, and he knocks him down at the end of the third round. And it was a bad knockdown, like Barzola looking up, like, uh, like, like looking up, you know, only when they're only their neck comes up, like looking around, like what's going on. And for me, that for me, that would that's a justified round steal. You knocked the guy down. I mean, that's up to opinion. That's subjective. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that. I don't know. That's just my opinion on that. Well, I think that's why Borg lost the fight recently against uh, Casey Kenny, because Kenny got the best of him at the very, very end of the round, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes. Yeah. And there was another one on that same card where the same thing happened. Uh, where it was like the Kevin Holland fight. Kevin Holland, um, he basically just like ended up the rounds on top against Mearshart and they gave him the decision, but he was like throwing that fight away for the entire thing. And I thought Mearshart won, but whatever. 
But I mean, and then of course there's the classic example of Ross Pierce and Diego Sanchez, yep, where yep. Ross Pierce oh, like goodness. clearly won every round, and Diego won the last ten seconds of all three rounds. <laughs> My, yeah. is, and yeah, that's probably one of the worst scorecards to date. Oh, so, uh, yeah, Diego those, those Sanchez, are some other good examples. How many how many times did he catch those kind of decisions, just going forward and throwing it air? Every coach should tell their fighter to do that. If you feel like this round was a chess match and that. We don't know who won. In the last 10 seconds, just throw caution to the wind. You're not going to get submitted. Like a guy, if a guy throws a tr- like flying triangle at you with 10 seconds, you'll hold on. Just throw the kitchen sink at him and hope that the judges don't know what they're doing. Because yeah. you, can still, you can still fool a judge, I mean, in, in the sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been it's... Made, made apparent time and time again. Oh, it's so ridiculous. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep, and, and not to go too far down that rabbit hole, I will say Michael Bisping versus Vanderlei Silva is my classic example for that as well. Of You know, he just turned it on at the end of every round where Bisping was arguably outpointing him through the entirety of all the rounds. But he kept, yeah. and granted, he did get dropped at the end, which was uh, not not great. Uh, but, uh, you know, but yeah, to that point. Back, back to this fight, though. Man, I missed this one, and it's not because I'm usually a guy, uh, speaking of, you know, going the opposite way and trying to be contrarian, but uh, I, I, I try not to do recency bias because recency bias usually comes so strong. A lot of times when I do these lists, like I think I did top five featherweight wars and it dropped ahead uh, in buildup for Holloway and uh, Ortega. Now that fight happens and you look at the comment section and most of the comments are like, how do you not have Holloway and Ortega on there? Like not, A, not even looking at the date of the video, but B, not realizing like you realize like, when you shoot these things that the sport is going to continue on, like there's going to yeah. be more of that. And <laughs> you don't I, do revisions. <laughs> yeah. And, and I even state that in the videos too, when I do these truncated videos, like, Hey, these lists are always going to be able to be added to, but this is my top five list now. And, uh, and, and yeah, so um, th- that's another reason, but this one would have justified it because it's such a good fight. I just didn't have it written down even as an honorable mention. Cause I totally missed it. And what's, which is crazy is because this fight and their first fight, Aaron, was were my fight of the year? Were either of their their fights fight of the year for you? Your official? I vote? think I think this one was my fight of the year last year, but I don't usually do a fight of the year list, so I can't really tell you that definitively. I got you, and I like the first one a lot. I would agree. This one is the second one is better. That's why I, I agree it qualifies too. But the first one I really like because there was that storyline to it. Um, you know, a, a, a back and forth with the Whitaker having to overcome injury, and it felt like a, yeah. it's one of those rare fights that really we get the boxing feel. You know, it has to be a five rounder for us to even get close to it, but that round to round adjustment feel. And this one was just and, absolute chaos. So justified. Yeah, and fight. I should mention that the first one had higher stakes because Romero missed weight for the second one. That's so right. It was a non-title fight. That's right. That's right. Still, still, still the rematch, although, though. Although you can argue it's uh, the stakes for the first one with an interim title, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know. Interim title versus legitimate title, but it's one guy can't win. So, I mean, the stakes are still pretty high. I mean, if Romero would have won, I guess Whitaker would have retained the title. It wouldn't have been vacated or anything, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're just totally reminding me of just the guys I feel bad for. Whitaker... Ferguson and, and Poirier. I mean, they, they feel like the guys that are just doing the division's dirty work for and then getting interim titles, fighting fighting all the tough guys that nobody wants to fight, like the fucking Justin Gaethje's or the Yoel Romero's of the world. Here's your yeah. here's your award. You get an interim title fight. Like I love how the, the, the fucking badass fighters get rewarded in our sport. But anyways, that's another And, and Whitaker's got zero title defenses officially as a result. And people are always talking about, oh, he's never defended the title. It's like, yeah, but you realize he did fight Romero for five rounds. Yeah. He nearly got knocked out on several occasions of that fight. Like, and no, just, yeah, you can't just take credit away from him from that. Like, that's not really a title defense. 
Exactly. And I mean, fighting that guy twice and then no one was complaining. I didn't hear any of those people complaining when uh, he was injured and George St. Pierre was allowed to fight face uh, Michael Bisping for another, you know, a uh, Bisping title defense that was questionable. And I'm not coming at Bisping. I like Bisping, but I'm just saying I'm calling a spade for a spade here. No one was no one was no one was mad that Whitaker wasn't able to step up to the plate then. Well, the Hendo rematch, the Hendo rematch was an absolute farce for a yes, title fight. That's, they, yeah. That was that was just pure marketing. But whatever. I mean, that's that's how you run a business. All right. My number three, I guess we'll we'll we'll, we'll continue forward here. Um this one is a uh, this one is a, is, a, is, a, is is a big uh, a big one at the record uh, at the record books. It was number one for a minute up until recently, and and still at least at the time of this recording is sitting at number two, which probably gives it away for people like yourself and many others. That's right. UFC two hundred two is coming in at number two for all time pay per view sales, but coming in at number three for me, and that is Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor two. We got crossover here, man. No, sir. This is the one that I left off my list. Okay, all right. uh, I'm sure it would surprise some people, but go ahead. This is working out, then. I like it. Um, yeah, this one is, you know, again, me being contrarian, I'm almost just like dismissive, like, I don't put a Connor fight on there, right? Come on, Connor every day, he farts, and we have to write stories about it now these days. Jesus Christ, do we need to talk about more? You know what? I would argue that this might be my actually my favorite Connor McGregor performance. And I'll explain why, because the same reason why is the same reason it ends up being on this list. Um, not only is it a rematch that, you know, has the bad blood and all the antics of, you know, stepping it up, not just, you know, dissing handshakes or flipping someone the bird after beating them in a rock climbing contest like Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey on the Tough House. I mean, there was bottles, cans, uh, scuffles, confused Jake Shields running across the room. I mean, it had everything, right? (laughs) Building up into this one. And uh, it was great because it came out of nowhere. I mean, Connor was obviously supposed to fight RDA for the lightweight title at UFC 196. That never happened. That card really, uh, you know, got, got actually got shifted at a certain point, I believe, if memory serves. Uh, but, yeah, the actual UFC 196 happens. And, and, of course, Nate Diaz upsets Connor, creating this rematch uh, to begin with. And not only does it score in the bad blood or build up, but more importantly, the reason why it's my, my, my favorite McGregor performance is because of the techniques. I mean, it's we don't realize how rare it is for someone to fight against type in the sport. Once you start, especially, you know, if you have a similar gig like to mine where you're grinding tape or you're you're, you're watching these guys a lot, and, and I'm sure you can speak for the same, Aaron. Uh, I know you, you, you're a roster minder yourself, uh, my friend, but it it's... Uh, you can see patterns, right? And I think everybody can, whether you've done, whether you participated in martial arts or not. Hell, I I had my buddy that got me into this was a bass player and he was really good at picking up combination patterns, especially like back in the day, be like, oh, this guy keeps going, keeps finishing with his leg kick. And I was like, oh, that's right. And we all recognize patterns. It's because, you know, it goes really deep. I I have a whole philosophy that you fight kind of how your personality is, you know? Um, you know, a bully got, you know, someone who's a bully is probably not going to be a counterfighter per se in the, in the, you know, if they're a bully in the real world, they kind of have that about them. And so there's all these things that kind of are just hardwired for you not to fight against type. And I'm not trying to beat this point to death, but it sets up this where you look at it and go, okay, well, what is Connor going to do in this rematch? I mean, he doesn't have the cardio, the boxing. We just, we just saw that his boxing is not impervious. Neither is his chin, right? He, he got cracked and that's when he went for the takedown. We already knew that he was dead in the submission, dead in the water in the submission realm against Nate Diaz. 
But we look at what happened with Nate Diaz. Like it was leg kicks. Leg kicks have always been the traditional trouble of of his, even in his best performance. You know, against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Cerrone was still kicking him off of his feet multiple times in that second round. Right, like that's always been a, a, a weakness. But so I, I remember I went back, Aaron, and I watched every McGregor fight, every uh, footage I could watch that even wasn't outside of his MMA fights, and not once did I see him throw a single leg kick. Yet, when the fight comes, you know, he, he's selling that he's focusing on his cardio, which obviously he had to, and obviously he was. Uh, but he starts coming out throwing leg kicks, you know. Like, I, I think I, you know, I wrote one of my breakdowns posts. Like, he, he sharpened his shins like, he, like a man feeding his family with them. Like, it was insane to watch that kind of uh, just change and dedication to fight against type, to not get too excited. And you kind of saw him warring with himself. And don't get me wrong, obviously, Nate had his moments in rounds two, end of round two and in round three, where you saw Connor having a fight for a second win. He was having to fight the demons um, that, you know, th- that cost him the first fight. And people will still point to that. And even me, someone who <laughs> isn't shy about criticizing McGregor will say, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I think that that's a, that's a positive point of his. It showed that he got to that same point, but instead of folding like the time before, he pushed. And in those later rounds, four and five, he's changing up his shot selections, not just with the leg kicks, but he's going to the body. He's going with uppercuts, uh, which I thought was going to be a big key in the first fight. Um, and he's, he's doing the, almost the Diaz pattern where it's not 80 to 100%. It's 30, 40, 30, 40, 30, 40, 80. 30, 40, 30, 40, 30, 40, 80. And it was beautiful. He was able to outpoint, keep his pace, and then not gas himself out. Now, it was a close fight. You could have scored. There are arguments to go either way, sure. But I don't really get hung up on that, Aaron. Uh, and just from a, a putting McGregor, who he is out of it, and even putting Nate Diaz, who he is out of it, that was a classic classic fight um hearkening back to our box you know uh, the closest mma can come to boxing with these five round uh five round uh wars so it it made my list for that reason let me explain to you why i didn't make my list all right first off that fight being contested at 170 was a a complete farce and uh i think it takes away from the gravity of that particular one because we're not getting either of those guys at their best in my opinion i think if you would have had it at 155 connor wants it at 170 to prove that he can beat diaz at 170 which is all well and good but why not have that fight at 155 which is the natural weight class of both these guys so that was the, the first strike for me it, it took away from state the stakes away even though it was high stakes for connor and his brand it's not really real stakes and then number two the thing that everybody always loves about Connor is how he kind of throws caution to the wind. He, he lands these aggressive combos. He, he's good at putting it all together. I thought that this was a really conservative fight, and I thought there was a lot of the fight where he was just basically like just trying to get stamina back and then taking deep breaths and avoiding any, any sort of uh, confrontation whatsoever. And that kind of took away from it also. But no doubt that it's a great fight, and no doubt that uh, it's one of the, the best fights ever, really, and, and one of the best strategies ever because he needed to implement a really good strategy to get Diaz out of there. Oh, sorry, to, to try to get Diaz out of there. He was landing that left over and over again, and Diaz wouldn't fold. And that's the same thing that happened in the first fight. So I felt like Connor had the perfect game plan to beat Diaz, but I didn't find it particularly as compelling as the first one. The first one, I actually like the first one better. The reason why I like the first one better is because you've got a Diaz coming off the couch taking the fight on eight days' notice. Connor looks untouchable. 
Connor, Connor's hitting Diaz with absolutely everything that he has with that left that, that's put so many guys down. And Diaz just walks through it and he's, you know, he's just hanging out and, and then he gets the submission and Connor's blindsided by it. Connor had put in a full camp, Diaz coming off the couch. Like, those are the kind of things that made that fight crazier to me than the, the, than the rematch. But I, I hear you and I know that that's among people's, you know, top five fights of all time. So I don't mean to slag it, but I'm just explaining why it's not on my list. No, that's fair. And, and with the stakes as well, like, I was one of those people that was. Uh, clamoring to see it at 155, for example, uh, for the same reasons you would get the best version. Although for a topic like this, I would argue that it would actually work. It actually works despite my my and your personal feelings about it because that first one was such an off keel and was at that weight that almost by doing it at that weight almost kind of makes it on an even playing field. Not that that makes sense because there's uh, another parallel, which I don't want to burn. I don't think it'll come up on either of our lists, but it's a classic one that are on a lot of listener lists. And it had a similar parallel where the first fight was kind of on weird terms. One guy was kind of taking it last minute. And the second fight, we saw what happened when they were both prepared and at their best. And it was a big difference. But that happened more in the classical way, whereas this one happened in the odd way where the guy that comes in last minute, Nate Diaz, is the guy that ends up winning, right, at UFC 196. And uh, even though they both kind of uh, came in um, similarly prepared, uh, I would argue that – or not argue, but didn't Nate say he was injured as well going into the second one? And, but anyways, not, not that yeah, I'm going to put fighters, stock the fighters in that, are always yeah. going into fights. Yeah. So, um, but but yeah, no, no, that that that's fair. That's fair. I I just I'm I'm I'm, I'm I think for me it was more of the fighting against type that kind of overruled the uh, even lulls or parts that maybe maybe were interpreted as like avoidance and whatnot, which it totally was avoidance. I mean, he was trying not to get finished. Um, it's also cardio. Like it was also for him to be able to maintain a certain level of cardio, and that's why the volume was a lot less. But yeah, exactly. And you know what? This, it was a great fight. I'm not trying to slag the fight at all. I just uh, those were just my reasons for why I didn't make my list. It's all my honorable mentions, of course. You know, it almost didn't make mine too. But it was one of those where I kind of had to go back and rewatch and kind of remind myself because again, so much has happened when the Conor McGregor. Not many fights, but so many, so much else has happened in the Conor McGregor world since you almost forget. Uh, you almost forget all, all, all these other uh, random spots here. So. Uh, never, never. Well, I will say the, the good thing about it is that they had such good chemistry outside and inside the cage. And the thing that I always talk about is matchups. Like, I think that I've always said fights and rankings are kind of BS because if you look at specifically matchups, like Kamaru Usman at the time of this recording is the champion at welterweight. Right. To me, his worst matchup is probably Stephen Thompson. Even though Stephen Thompson just lost to Pettis and is yeah. whatever ranked ten or eleven now, if you look at it strictly from a matchup standpoint, I agree. he would probably pose the best threat to Usman. So that's that's kind of the why this Nate Diaz had such a, a crazy rise is because he was just a terrible matchup for Connor. He's he's got a great chin, he's got good grappling, and um, that was the kind of the kryptonite for Connor. Yep, length, southpaw versus southpaw. Yeah, he was, had mm-hmm. all these intangibles, and Connor even admitted that himself. Uh, but yeah, if they do do a third fight, last thing on this fight before we move to year number three, if they do do a third fight, I definitely want that. There's no excuses that that doesn't happen at 155, in my opinion. Oh, but. for sure. Absolutely. All right, your number three, sir. I think this will probably be on your list. Um, it's one of the best rematches ever. Edgar versus Maynard 2. Uh, another trilogy fight, but I thought the second one was the best one. Was Is this on your list? It would be, except I did the hipster move where, you know, you kind of bend the rules. And I actually qualified this, Aaron, for one of my top five title defenses. Because even though it was a draw, 
the t- title was technically defended, uh, if we're yeah. talking about the same one. But go ahead, sir. It's a great yeah, fight. Yeah, it's the same one. It's a draw. Yeah, so Maynard uh, was the only person to beat Edgar at that time, and he went undefeated after he beat Edgar. But Edgar managed to get ahead in the pe- pecking order and become the champion. So they face off in uh, the second title defense for Edgar. He just beaten BJ Penn for the second time. Uh, and was a huge underdog in both those fights because yep. people thought the first time was a fluke. Um, so about a minute into the round, Edgar uh, gets leveled with like a left hook and gets dropped. Um, and he keeps going after him and drops him several more times. And Eve Levine lets him be a warrior, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, Edgar, yeah. so Edgar keeps defending uh, himself. And you can hear Mike Goldberg being like, Gray Maynard has knocked him down. He keeps trying to, like, finish yeah. the fight. Yeah, he figures it's over. Yes. He's, he's about to pull the it is all over, but he, it never gets there. So Maynard, he's controlling Edgar. He keeps managing to find a way up. Uh, and despite having his nose busted up, Maynard drops him again. You know, Edgar keeps trying to find his equilibrium, and Maynard's relentlessly going after him. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to note again that Edgar was an underdog in this one, too, because, again, I don't think people were convinced that he was that good. Uh, first round's 10-8. Many people made the case at the time that it was a 10-7 because he almost got finished like three or four times in that first round. That's the argument. Um, yep, that, that, that's yeah. the round people point to for the 10-7 argument in MMA. Yeah, and Maynard registered three knockdowns officially, but it was probably more. I mean, he... Edgar fell after losing his balance after getting hit on several occasions as oh, well. Dude, dude, just real, real quick. Here's why it qualifies 10 7, because right at that note you left off at. He actually, I think I went back and watched to make sure. He literally does a roll in each way. He does a back roll, he does a forward roll, and he even does a side barrel roll at a certain point <laughs> off of these strikes. But go ahead, just, just to paint yeah. an image. Like. Yeah, I mean, again, he registers officially three knockdowns, but it was more than that um, if you go back and watch. So from there, Edgar, you know. He, uh, he starts to put some volume on Maynard, but uh, this is in the second round. So Edgar, you know, he starts putting volume on Maynard. You can see him getting that second win. Maynard's landing a lot of probably the more powerful strikes, um, but Edgar tags Maynard at the end of the, thir- the, end of the second and probably wins that round. Um, 28 takedowns are attempted in this fight, which is crazy. Only six of them land. But uh, Edgar landed a really nice one in the second. He picked them up and, 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 uh, and dropped them uh, with a nice takedown. And Rogan is giddy throughout this fight. If you hear Rogan, he's like, what a fight. He's having a great time. Um, Randy Couture's in the corner for Maynard. And he's basically berating him after the second. You're letting this guy get back into this fight. you got to follow the game plan. Um, so, you know, he wants him to take him down. He's, he tells him not to go for the knockout strike, but to, to, to go just try to hurt him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and Maynard follows the game plan in the third, but Edgar starts to outwork him. And Maynard's land, you know, he lands a nice takedown at the end, but he, he fails to keep Edgar down, and it's a, it's a very close round. Fourth round, uh, Frankie gets like a, a pretty tight guillotine earlier. But uh, like early in the round, but Maynard's much bigger than Edgar is, and he he's able to fight his way out of it. But Edgar's just outpacing him, um, and Maynard looks like a deer in headlights for much of the round. He looks like yeah, you know he's he's realizing those things slipping out of his grasp after that crazy first round. He he really it must have been a big adrenaline dump for me because that fight was so close to being over. And it's the clearest Edgar round of the fight. So after the fourth, you know uh, Mark Henry's imploring Edgar, you know you need to win the round, you're going to lose the title. And Gil Martinez tells Maynard, don't let this guy take this away from him. So both of them knew the urgency here. And the fifth round is really, really close. And you can make a case for either guy. But Frankie probably landed the better shots. Ends up being a split draw, which led to the trilogy fight that Edgar inevitably, run, inevitably won. So you had Maynard winning the first, the draw the second, and Edgar winning. So there's still not a whole lot of closure here. And it might be the best trilogy ever. Um, I, we mentioned Thompson versus Melendez earlier. That was a phenomenal trilogy as well. Um, and a lot of people can make the case that Thompson won the third fight there, too. That was a, that was a really close, close fight. Um, but the, uh, the first rematch, um, was the, was the best of the three. I thought, I thought the second fight was the best of the three Maynard versus Edgar fights. I, I don't think that, that it's even close really. So that's why that one's the number three on my list. 
Me too. I see a lot of people will put the third one over this one. I think that's because there is a finish and just us being a finish happy society, or perhaps they're hanging on the definitive kind of section of the argument, but I'm with you. This one, Heads and Tails, is a top one for me, but I'm glad that you mentioned one of the best trilogies, and I never really thought about that. Um, I, I got to imagine that's going to be even more of a limited top five than, than this, or top five third fights even, um, but grading as a trilogy as a whole, I like that because no one talks about their first fight. Of course, it goes down at one of my favorite. Uh, mark your scorecards if you're playing Protect Your Neck podcast, bingo. Ultimate Fight Night 13, baby. Denver, Colorado, one of the best fucking fight <laughs> nights ever. I always find ways to go back to this fight. Like It's seven degrees of goddamn separation, but that fight was awesome because if you remember, Frankie Edgar, you know he's coming off his, not fresh off, but he's riding that momentum of that Tyson uh, Gr- Griffin debut. Uh, he even got on the MTV. Remember when MTV was doing like the, yeah that show yeah mm-hmm. and they had and it was you know you see him and I don't even know they were just freshly married at the time. Kid, and Tyson the Griffin at the time was away. like Tyson Griffin was like the next champion at that time. People forget how how highly touted he was at the time that Edgar beat him. Oh yeah, and Tyson and he might not for a rematch but a connection to a rematch. He might come up later just as to as a reminder of you know where Tyson's Griffin status was. But I remember watching the MTV thing on Frankie Edgar and it's showing you know he just got like a. A Benz and uh, like he's starting to come up on the come up and he's like this is a big fight for me because he's undefeated uh, he's still undefeated at this time and um, Gray Maynard uh, w- w- you know he, w- he just was a wrestler came off tough uh, kind of had that thing where he knocked himself out taking down Rob Emerson I believe uh, so you know we're like okay what's going on he he had the he, he knocked a guy out in his next fight but that was kind of a, a no name guy I was kind of forgotten about real fast uh, he was a legit dude but his hands really weren't coming together yet, and he was working. Shout out to Ron Frazier, uh, a guy who I used to work with and, and uh, back when I was competing. And Ron was one of the original boxing guys at Extreme Couture before uh, uh, Gil Martinez, who you mentioned earlier. Great, awesome shots to him. That guy was awesome as well. But, uh, you know, and, and, and you could see it. There was a certain point where he was really, Ron was really getting some of these guys, especially the wrestlers at Extreme Couture, to get much better with their hands, whether it was Mike Pyle, Maynard, all these like old school guys in that first class, so to speak. And you really saw it come out in that first fight. And I know we're not uh, talking about the first fight. We're talking about the second one. But that first fight is just, it's, it's, it's really underrated. You know, he's just using pressure and he's, he's showing the blueprint how to beat Frankie Edgar, you know, solid boxing fundamentals, corral him to the cage and suffocate him with the wrestling. Of course, he had really good wrestling, uh, so that, that made it a little easier, but uh, it, it set up, it, it set up a, you know, an unexpected for the first fight because, you know, like, okay, that first fight was good, but the second fight, let's see what it's got. No one expected that. I mean, that was, that was just insane. I was at that fight live. I'm, I referenced that story in different ways because it was just a memorable night in different ways. Uh, so I won't, you know, get too far back into it, but but otherwise it would be right up there to make my list, man. This was a, a great fight and a, a great pick, Aaron. Yeah, and I know Maynard had a cup of coffee at 45, but uh, Maynard was so much bigger than Edgar too, and that's that's part of the uh, deal of this one. There's another trilogy that barely barely missed the cut on this one, but we'll, we'll, I don't want to take that away from you if you have it. So let's continue. No worries. Um, I'm actually going to offer to see. Do you want to do you want to do you want to double dive and, and not double dive, but go again? Yeah, I sure. Say? Just just, just well, change snake, up the order draft. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you want to lead off with your number two, sir? Sure. All My right. number two is Chandler versus Alvarez, too. Nice, um, nice. So, so, the, so the first round, Chandler takes Alvarez down, takes his back, nearly chokes him out right at the end of the round, and uh, Alvarez manages to survive. Uh, second round, more takedowns from Chandler, back and forth round. Uh, the third round, Alvarez starts to bloody him up, shuts one of uh, Chandler's yeah. eyes. The fourth round, Chandler throws that crazy flying knee, takes Eddie down. 
crazy ground and pound. Um, fifth round, Eddie bites down on the mouthpiece and swings. Like I think Eddie had a sense of urgency there. He's starting to stuff takedowns. Chandler nails Alvarez with a big uppercut, takes him down, takes his back, goes for like a pretty bad neck crank. But Alvarez is able to transition, gets up. Um, you know, they start throwing back and forth. Eddie's getting the better of the exchanges. Alvarez gets a choke and then another one. But uh, Chandler gets out because he's slippery. Uh, fends off Alvarez, gets on top. And then as, you know, this one ends. And then this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the fight, even though it happened after the fight. As the scorecards are getting read, the two, are, the two guys are just staring each other in the eyes. Like they're standing next to the, the ref. And they're just like staring right into each other's eyes. Like the fight's like still happening. But at the time, they're just reading the scorecards. And one judge, if you look at the scorecards, inexplicably gave Chandler the third. And three judges gave uh, Alvarez a very close second. Like, the, the clearest round for Alvarez was probably the yeah, third one yes, the judges gave it to Chandler. Yes. Um, so Chandler um, ends up losing a split, and uh, he accepts the, uh, the outcome. But that's one of the craziest fights ever. And the crazy part about that is that the first one might have been better than this one. And the same goes from another one that just barely missed my list that happened on the same night as Chandler versus Alvarez, the first one. But I don't know if that one's on your list, so I don't want to take that one away from you either. Ooh. Do you know which fight I'm talking about? It, it, I know what card you're talking about, but I, I always think of a different fight, so I'm, 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 I'm a little bit scrambled. But okay, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I, doubt, I doubt the rematch is on your list, so I'm going to just okay. say it. Is that okay? Yeah. So the same night as Chandler Alvarez won, if you'll believe it, is, the, is Shogun versus Hendo one. Those happened on the same night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking about. I thought it was a rematch. Yeah. There was a rematch that happened on that same night is what you were saying. That's what threw me off. No, yeah. Okay. That, that, that was absurd. That was an absurd night. And I'm glad I let you go because there's go because there's two things you brought up from your previous one that connects to this. Um, one is Gil Martinez, who you mentioned. And he was uh, at Extreme Couture's boxing coach, like I said at the time, of uh, Edgar versus Mater, which is only about two years or a month and – it's weird because it happens on January, I think, 2010. So it's only about two years or so removed, I should say, uh, from that fight. Uh, we're talking about Alvarez Chandler 2, obviously your pick at Bellator 106. Um, but in that fight, it was it's great because you have the boxing narrative of the five-round fight that I keep kind of hearkening back to you, right, Aaron? We have the Michael Chandler starting strong. We have the, the momentum swings, but then we also have the physical stuff. We have the eye, the cut man, the corner work. You know, adjustments need to be made. And it was so frustrating because by this time, Chandler just moved to Alliance. And even though uh, my grappling coach, Neil Melanson, would move with him, which is why, I, if you hear me referencing me going down to Alliance at a certain point of time, this was around that time. Because um, just people that were, were tight with Neil, we would all do road trips and go down and go train there. Yeah. Chandler loves Neil and, and brings Neil everywhere with him. 100%. Yeah. But unfortunately, he didn't have Gil Martinez or. Uh, Alliance is a great gym. Uh, they have great MMA coach, grappling coaches, wrestling coaches, but I would argue there's been a lack of a striking coach. There's that dude with the long hair and the goatee, right? He's like kind of working pads with a lot of people, and that's kind of all I see. And I'm not hating on that. It was always really nice, that guy, by the way. But I never really saw a strong, strong striking presence, and I think that kind of came – those chickens came to roost in this fight because you saw – not just in this fight. If you remember Chandler's run, he was winning fights uh, – he was winning his fights before this – because he had a couple title defenses. He had about three memory servers between the first two fights with Alvarez, right? And even in those fights, even though he was winning, he was taking a lot more damage. And we're kind of seeing, you know, the, the telltale signs of what we see now where that's just who Michael Chandler is. He's an action fighter. That's kind of who he's going to be. But we really saw those telltale signs. And it, for me, it was frustrating not being a, just being a Chandler fan because, again... Harkening back to your pick at UFC 125, I don't want to be a name dropper, but, like, just kind of apropos to this, like... 
I actually went to that fight with Michael Chandler. You know, he was he wasn't signed with Bellator then, and I, mean, I remember having conversations with him on the mat, going, "I want to be active soon. I don't want to wait all the way to February to start this Bellator tournament. I'm not sure what I'm going to do." And he was really close to not doing it. So to see him take the journey uh, from a personal bias, uh, it, it's hard for me to put this fight on because that first fight. I think is a better fight unbiasedly, but with my biased attach, watching somebody go from that journey from kind of nobody to winning the Bellator tournament and beating a Pitbull brother to, because even that was, that was like, okay, was, Michael Chandler made it this far, but people didn't think he was going to beat, uh, beat Patricky, beats Patricky, and then Alvarez, man, Alvarez already had the respect he deserved at that point. He beats oh, yeah, Alvarez. Japan. One, yeah. one of my favorite MMA fights, just in general. Forget weight class or this or that. So for me, I, I wouldn't have it. It didn't make my list because of that. But for what it's worth, and here's in your defense, it, it's the first fight I have written when I came to this list. It's one of the first fights. It is the first fight that came to mind. It's at the very top of my list when I start these lists. I, I add numbers post and later. And I will say is the reason why this is defensible to be on a list because. Not just was this fight at Bellator 106 so good, the rematch. It's that their first fight was so damn good that you could almost write off. You're like, it doesn't matter what happens in the rematch. There is no way in hell it's going to be even close. And you know what? It is close. The fact that the rematch is even in the argument with mm-hmm. one of the best MMA fights of all time, to me and many's, um, alone kind of justifies your pick there. So even uh, yeah, though that's I don't how have I looked it on at there, it, actually. But, yeah. like, I, I don't, this is the one on my list that I'm... I'm can confidently say it's probably not better than the original. Right. But because the original was so, so epic and this like lived up to it. I mean, at the time people were going crazy for it. And nobody said, Oh, that was a disappointment. Like right. that's the best two. That's the best match and rematch in history is, is the first and second of, of this particular series. Um, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great fight. Just, uh, and you could even feel the ground and pound. I mean, I remember at a certain point Chandler puts the, uh, Pardon my, this parlance doesn't, doesn't age well, but to use Joe Rogan's term, back at UFC Fight Night 113 that he used, uh, the rape choke, and, uh, he, you know, just, 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 and pounding on Eddie, like, you're like, holy crap, like, you just saw, like, some of the most vicious grounded pound when Chandler was gassed late in that round, I mean, it had moments everywhere. Absolutely. All right, Dan, what's your, what's your number two? I think we probably have the same number one, but go, go with your number two. Okay. If your number two is the same as my number one, I'm excited to hear what your number one is. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking now, too. It, it could be that or it could not be. I don't know. I mean, I have two classics to finish off, but this one is definitely the, uh, the, the classic uh, where I'm like, am I just putting on here as it's classic? We know it deserves to be on here and it deserves to be high on the list. Um, because it, it wasn't just a, a, a rematch. It was an important trajectory in, in one man's career. And the word changing of the guard is abused so damn much, Aaron. But if we were doing top five changing of the guards, I feel like this one would be a shoe in for almost number one. But it makes number two on this list, and that's UFC 65, Matt Hughes versus George St. Pierre 2. Yeah, that's a great one. That that's not my number one, but right, yeah, so cool. we probably have the same number one. But yeah, this is a, this is a really good one. In fact, this one, the, the last one of mine that missed the cut was a Matthews fight. But let's continue. Wow. Okay. And it was and it wasn't this one. Pay, 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 uh, bookmark that. I want to hear hear that paid off. Uh, hear, hear that paid off in a second. But uh, yeah, this one was this one was a, a was just a classic one because there was a, a lot of buildup to it. 
And this was an age where promos wasn't, I mean, UFC was getting into the promo era, but it wasn't anywhere at the level, right? I mean, we're talking about, we just, we started this list with uh, Strike Force and that Gil Melendez versus Josh Thompson 2 fight, I would argue, is a nice kind of starting point where you see the Strike Force that most of us became familiar with later that became the, a big enough entity for UFC to buy, right? Uh, whereas this fight, I would argue this was the UFC's own own era of that own era where they were kind of stepping up their promos. And George St. Pierre helped them, whether it was, I believe, after the Frank Trigg fight, getting on his knees and begging for the rematch, to uh, the fact that they were both coming off of beat, wins over a, a respectable guy that w- never lost the title for that division up at this time was BJ Penn. And they both came off uh, victories over him. Um you know, George had that tough fought split, whereas Matt Hughes had one of the. You know, Matt Matt Hughes had. You know, maybe that that that. Now I'm now I'm stepping on your what you just teased. Had a great rematch with BJ there, and now they meet. Uh, and and they were supposed to meet before, but I, I believe it was uh, Saint Pierre that that tore his his groin, not his abductor uh, from the Alves fight. But no, I think he had a groin injury or something that kept him out, and that's why BJ stepped in last minute, kind of to face Hughes for their rematch at UFC 63. I, I will correct you though; that wasn't what I was talking about. But continue. Okay, cool. All right, cool. And uh, <laughs> and so so they meet up here at UFC 65, and George St. Pierre. I mean, this is my favorite era of George St. Pierre, which is which is the the thing that I liked about the Bisping fight is we, he brought glimpses of that back where he was still doing his karate style kickboxing. Now he already turned a, a corner in his wrestling. Most people credit the, uh, Josh Kostrick fight. I think that's when people saw it, but really, I mean, you look at guys like Hughes and, and Trigg, those guys were the wrestlers of the division and they had legitimate credentials outside of the sport. And he was outdoing those guys. And you saw it, Matt Hughes would get a bear hug on St. Pierre and get nothing from him, which was just insane. The only other guy maybe was BJ Penn that ever did that. And St. Pierre just starts laying it on him, almost gets the finish in the first round, knocks him down with a Superman punch. Not a Superman hook like Pettis, but but it, it almost reminded me of it. And, and Matt Hughes is looking up like, what, what just happened? Saved by the bell. And St. Pierre builds up on it and hits him with that classic trade, trademark uh, lead, uh, lead leg kick to the head, catches Hughes dipping in and goes down for the finish. And it was just great, you know. It was it was a great uh, changing of the guard. The, uh, the camps were showing a lot of class to each other afterwards. And um, I don't know. I just feel like I would be remiss if if um, if I didn't have this one on my list. All right, is Hughes in your number one? What's that? No, is he's not. Your... No, he's okay, not. Okay, so so the one that just made, the, this was like my number six on the list was Hughes versus Trigg too. Nice, yeah. Which, is actually, which is actually Dana White's favorite fight. That's right. That is. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so that one just missed the cut for me. So that I mean, so Hughes has had basically three incredible rematches. Is basically the conclusion that we can draw here. All of which could have made this list. Yeah, hundred percent, one hundred percent. But yeah, that that is the that is the definitive GSP fight because that's when we knew that he was going to be something special. And I mean, there's also the GSP Sarah rematch, mm-hmm. which uh, wasn't really a great fight. But it was also, you know, showed that GSP, you know, that something was going on with GSP when he lost that first Sarah fight. And he has he, that was the last fight he lost was that first Sarah fight. So uh, pretty unbelievable. Yeah. And it set the trend, too, for GSP being able to adjust, because like you said, not only would he do, be, be, you know, arguably next to John Jones, uh, I put him up ahead as far as strategy uh, um, uh, above John Jones. But uh as far as like guys you don't want to face in a rematch, you know they say John Jones in a rematch is dangerous. I feel like GSP was uh, was that guy first because not just from the losses but even victories. Uh, you know that that, that close fight uh, against BJ Penn, which was a classic where you point to grappling control versus damage. That was one of those classic fights back in the day where when you were having that argument, you would you would use that one. And even then, like fights that he won, he would come back and win more decisively the next time oh, yeah. around every single time. 
So, so yeah, and that was the beginning of that trend, which we, we didn't, we wouldn't have known it was a trend at the time. Uh, but, but yeah, that was, that was, that was just insane. So, all so right. We've got to have the same number one. I'm, I'm hoping we don't because I'm hoping you ha- your number one is the one that I, I, I miss, which is the big one. But al- although, even though I say I missed it, I don't know if I would have put it on, on my number one anyways, which I'll explain later. Uh, whose okay. turn is it anyways? I lost track of whose fucking I think it's, your, it's probably your turn if we're going snake draft. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I'll lead us in then. Let's see if we have crossover. It's funny. This one was one of the first ones that came to mind, but I didn't necessarily think it would be my number one. And maybe it's because of certain fight finishes that I actually kind of just referenced to a couple seconds ago that happened recently that, that almost makes the value of this fight go up. But mine does, doesn't involve Canadians, but it does take place in Canada. Are we in the right track? No, we're not. Okay, you're cool. I'm going to go forward. I'm, I'm leave, I've left your number one off my list, and you've left my, you've left my number one off your list. So this is interesting. Well, I, you, I am crazy. Your, yours is going to be much more defensible when we lay this out. But I still feel good about <laughs> okay. my number. But I still All feel right. good about my number one. Um, and I saw it on some other people's list too. So I know I'm not too crazy. But it took place in Canada at UFC 113, and that's Leota Machida versus Shogun Hua too. That's on my yeah. That's on my short. That's on my short list from my uh, Mr. Cut. But it's a, that's a great one. It got close though. Is what you're saying? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, it's, nice. It's, it's it's right there. It's this one, I mean, cause, because this one, it doesn't have the b- bad blood set up, but when we were talking about rematches, because uh, what a lot of these missed was, at least for me, uh, I missed a lot of those ones where it was like, we need a rematch, because usually the second fight and rematch can mean the same thing, obviously. That's what most our list comprise of, right, everybody? But if we're really trying to be technical or literal or really kind of narrow down and whittle down the word rematch... I feel like it's more aptly used, more passionately used, definitely, when we're talking about a fight where we don't like the outcome. We have to see that run back again. Dude, that first fight, like that might have been the angriest I've ever been after a decision was read. You and many. You and many. I, was, I think I might have thrown something. Like I was I was really angry with that decision. Like very I was so confused. It was like all the emotions. Angry, confused, distraught. Dude, I was a Machida mark, and I was upset because it just ruined the mystique of Machida. Because remember, everybody, Machida was still undefeated at this point. He wasn't just champion. He was still undefeated. It was this – I mean, there were articles being released before their fight. I remember showing, like, a security guard that I worked with uh, at the time uh, before their first fight. There was an article in the paper where, like, I forget, he averages getting hit – .67 .67 times around, like 0.67. <laughs> it was some insane stat that came out. Like, you're like, dude, no one's able to hit this guy. And then at this time, again, Anderson hadn't been dethroned yet again because you gotta, you have to put yourself back in the mindset for these picks, people. And at this time, even people were going, I wonder what those Leota Machida and Anderson sparring f- ser- sessions must look like. My God. I think Leota, you know what? I actually wouldn't be surprised if Leota wins him. You know, like there was that talk going around, right, Aaron? And even me yeah. and Machida Mark, I was upset too because it ruined the mystique of not just Machida being undefeated, but again, you want to be like, this isn't boxing uh, where there's corruption. This isn't pro wrestling where it's predetermined. This is our thing. This is as real as it gets, right? That's the UFC's advertising, right? And you were just were like, this was one of those decisions where it made you question what the fuck was going on. Yeah, absolutely. And that was absolutely you- it did. Yeah, and that was and, UFC and 104. And Go ahead. And didn't Lyoto come off that really close? I might have his backwards, but didn't Lyoto come off that really close win over uh, Rampage? 
No, that was at UFC. Or that Rampage Hua. That was at UFC uh, 123 the last time BJ Penn won a fight, sadly. That was on the same card in Detroit. I got it. Yeah. I know, right? Dude, that's when Edson Barbosa made his debut on that card. That's how I, that's how I was refreshed from that. I'm like, oh, wow. Barbosa, who's being considered a veteran now, made his debut in the last time BJ Penn won a fight, who somehow is fighting again. Great. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> keep, that, keep that fat in your back pocket for, the, for when they uh, actually start. Jesus, yeah, just well, you know, because people won't be depressed enough, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, but, very true. But back to the rematch that 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 104, the controversy is almost what makes this so because you want to see, you want to see it run back, you want to see the right guy win, right? And Shogun, of course, he has that popular fandom, and people thought, oh no, the knee surgeries and the transition from the ring to the cage, it got him like it got everybody else, right? Knee surgeries or that transition alone that I speak of, you know, a lot of guys didn't survive that. Um, you know, uh, even Mirko Krokop, whose career has just been weird chapters since, wasn't the same, right? And yeah. you, you, people were like, oh, no, but then Shogun comes back after that kind of embarrassing fight with Mark Coleman at 93, UFC 93 in Ireland. And he comes oh, back. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was one of the be- biggest upsets oh, ever. Jesus, that was, uh, well, it almost was an upset. He won, but it barely won. Like, it was like. Like both guys were just gas, and it was a mercy stoppage. You know, the ref was like, "Okay, I'm going to wait for a point where one guy looks more gas than the other, and we're going to call that a stop." Sorry, I got confused. I was thinking of uh, the first one, Bonner versus Coleman. Bonner oh, versus Coleman. Oh, was Bonner versus yeah, that was yes, that was yeah, and uh, and 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 yeah. So you had a. Uh, you had that going on Shogun. Now he kind of makes his run again, back in the fans' good graces. So people were definitely rooting for him. And, you know, you're like, well, how's Machida going to do in a rematch? We haven't really seen that. And Machida still had some aura to him, obviously. So it's not like that completely left. So it was really interesting. It goes down in Canada, um, which this is, like, this is at the time where it's like John Jones, Shogun, who, like, there was a lot of, like, headline, non-Canadian headliners, you know, if it wasn't GSP at this time. I think because the market was still so so thirsty and so hungry that they were just throwing all the big names at Canada when you look back at this chapter. It must have been nice uh, to be Canadian back then. You well, this was before fights. they came to Ontario, right? You said this is what, UFC 113? Yes. Yeah, so 129 was the first one in Ontario before John Jones started headlining all the uh, the cards in Toronto. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, so this is kind of getting up to that point. Leading. This is before point. John Jones was champ, right? Because yeah. John Jones beat, beat Hua. After this, after this fight, yeah. 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 And the rematch happens, and it's great because, you know, not, not only does it have that, uh, that, that part of the rematch in here to justify it, but also the Styles match. Again, I'm a Styles kind of a guy, and... The techniques kind of bleed in a bit, like like the like the McGregor and Nate fight, where this one was great because you see the success of the low kicks in the first fight, right? Low kicks and body work, right? Not 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 worrying about hitting Machida's head, hit hit what's there, pressure and hit what's there, right? And we would and and you know, Duke Rufus mentions this, and he had to learn the hard way. Obviously, he was historically on the wrong end in the early '90s, but a lot of kickboxers figured out how to fight these, uh, you know, these these '90s. Karate kickboxers, PKA style kickboxers, and it was low kicks, uh, pressure, low kicks, and you know the just crashing counter right hands to to tax them coming in and with their low handed styles. It pretty much just comes to that. And but the book wasn't translated and it wasn't known to the MMA world. And I would argue Shogun really does it because Machida was the first karate guy to be real successful, obviously in the MMA world, right? And Shogun was so. By proxy, that makes Shogun to be kind of the first guy to blueprint how to beat that style, and he did. He did it with the low kicks in the first fight, and he started to do it a bit in the second fight, but Machida kept stifling his pressure with level change and takedowns. Machida really improved his wrestling at this point of his career. So you see him trying to stifle the pressure, but then when Machida comes in one of the times again, uh, Shogun just nails him with that crashing crashing right hand. Machida goes down and just 
Shogun just slams him out, lands in mount, and I just it was just such a great fight. Like even the entrance, like Shogun was coming out to that house music, and it oh it was it was just a classic Shogun entrance. Like he 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 really trained hard for that fight. Just just peak Shogun if you're a Shogun fan. And I'm a Machida Mark, and this is like my number one. But I'm I'm also a huge Shogun fan, obviously. Um, and so this rematch just, you know, for, for styles that we would see repeated in the, what I referenced before, Thompson versus Anthony Pettis, which at the time of this recording recently happened, um, we're seeing that blueprint laid down today uh, for this, these same styles of fighters. So uh, it's just, it's a historical one. I didn't expect it to be number one, but but I have no issue with it being in number one because uh, it's never really made an, another another list, whereas I think you're number one. The reason why I left a couple of my favorite fights out here, they've been on at least one or more lists. So I wanted to maybe take this opportunity to give a shine to fights that I don't talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna 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 slip that caveat in there for forgiveness as we as I as I shift over to see what your number one is. Unless you have any more to add to, to mine, of course. Dan, in the words of Stephen A. Smith, I am shocked and appalled that this is not on your list. It might be the best fight ever. <laughs> Four plus rounds of uh, stand up. Uh, you got uh, Rory versus. Uh, Robbie too. Yeah, uh, I mean from UFC 189. Uh, I actually can't believe this is not on your list. To me, this was almost a no-brainer. I had to go back <laughs> and watch them all. But uh, you know, like the, the problem with this one is when you first start watching it, you're like, eh, maybe this isn't as good as I remember it to be. You know, the first round. Yes, yeah. It's, it's very tactical, and uh, you know, it falls into Rory's favor. Rory has a good strategy in this fight for the basically, and, and he usually utilizes it for the entire fight where he's basically staying at range and hitting him with with long straights. But Robbie's doing the same. He's firing back long straights. I mean, Rory's got more uh, volume. But, uh, you know, the first round was kind of a coin toss round. Not a lot of damage done, at least seemingly on the surface. Then second round's faster pace. You know, Robbie starts tagging Rory. And Rory's firing back with combos to make him pay for them. And then the whole fight is basically death by a thousand paper cuts. These guys are just throwing crazy straights from, from distance that keep stinging. And you keep, keep seeing their damage just continuously getting worse and worse as it goes. And then Rory lands a crazy head kick. It hurts Robbie. Robbie does a good job staying on the outside. He's catching Robbie at the end of strikes. And then Rory's also using front kicks as a weapon. He's hitting him to the body a lot, doing a lot of body work, both with his punches and his, and his front kicks. Um, and both guys are starting to get uh, busted up. And then Robbie starts to pick up steam as the round goes on. He's bloodying Rory up in the second round. And uh, that, that was a Robbie round, even though it's still fairly close. Then third round, Rory starts to implement his game plan more. A hugely accurate round. He's, he's hitting Robbie. It was almost a 50% clip, uh, despite the volume. Um, you know, Big John says, let's work at one point in the third round, which is mind-boggling if you go back and watch it. Um, and then Rory's catching Robbie. He catches Robbie with a head kick yeah. that uh, Robbie actually blocks. But it doesn't matter because Robbie's equilibrium is thrown off. Yep. Um, and, and Rory starts pounding on Robbie and almost gets him out of there. Uh, he almost wins the fight. It's not for Ro- Robbie showing something and fighting back. And Ro- the round ends, and Lawler walks towards his corner laughing. Which is, like, unbelievable. He almost gets finished. Maniacal. Yeah, he's he's a maniac. (laughs) And then uh, it's the first time Rory's ever going into championship rounds. And he really makes it count in the fourth. Like, he's landing. He lands another head kick that wobbles Robbie. He's teeing off against him. He's starting to really find his rhythm. He basically picks up right from where he left off at the end of the third. And Big John's about to step in. And Lawler's like, no, no, I'm good. And he's saying I'm good while while Rory's pounding on him. Um, You know, similar to what we saw with him and Askren uh, recently that Herb Dean didn't pick up on. But... um, (laughs) You know, Big John picks up on it. Let's Robbie continue. But, you know, Rory's looking perplexed because he keeps nailing Robbie with all these shots. And Robbie's still in it. And, he, and Robbie's still firing back at him. And then Rory eventually busts up 
Robbie's lip in this round. If you've seen the picture with Robbie's lip all messed up. Yeah. And uh, these guys are trading back and forth. And Robbie's stalking him at the end of the round. It's a clear Rory round, obviously. And then Rory head kicks Lawler again at the, at, right at the buzzer. And, and then Lawler looks at him and spits the blood out as they walk toward, and then they start walking towards each other at the end of the round and staring each other down, which is like crazy oh, theater the, yeah, at the end of the fourth round. Oh yeah. And then Robbie's corners, you, like you're a lion, you're a lion. If you, if you want to win this fight, this is the time he's busted up. You could, you can end this fight. And Faraz is saying, you know, five more minutes, Rob Rory, and you can win five more minutes. But Rory looks like he just got into a car crash. Like, he looks like he's just risen from the dead, like a zombie. Yeah. He's already has blood in his lungs at this point. Bleeding, oh yeah. His, his, his nose has been broken for a minute already at this point. Yeah, so so Rory basically at the beginning of the fifty lands a Superman. But, you know, Robbie starts to land, and uh, Robbie starts to throw counters, and Robbie's screaming like he's a man possessed. Um, and then Robbie basically lands a, a strike that shatters Rory's face, and he crumbles. And it's like one of the craziest fights ever because of the theater involved in all of it. Like uh, I, I watched it again today, and again, I, like after the first or second and second round, I'm like, wow, I, do I do I remember how good this fight was? And then it just starts getting better and better and better and better until it like hit that climax in the fifth round where like Rory's taking all he can take after he almost finishes Robbie on two occasions. It's just oh, it's, what a crazy fight, and it actually it's shocking to me that it's not on your list. Yeah, no, I'm glad that it's not on my list now because it was your number one. Um, it, it 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 deserves to be on everybody's list. Although my defense. Even uh, if for some reason it didn't escape me. And the only reason why it did is because it's not just for – I think I would argue rematches is probably down on like three or four of the rung when you think about this fight. I mean it's just greatest fight of all time, uh, you know, greatest card of all time, greatest stare down of all time, greatest five-round fight of all time. It made, it made my top five welterweight wars, which I had two Robbie Lawler fights on there, and that one also got the video truncated treatment. So – I, obviously, I've given, and plenty of people have given a lot of love to this fight. It's deserved. But I would argue on that context, I feel a little less bad, and especially because I'm glad you came strong. You had it on your number one, a very deserved spot for it. But uh, this, as well as, and I'll, I'll just burn it now, Aldo Mendez 2, I actually had as my uh, uh, official honorable mention for the video. And that was one, too, where it's one of my favorite fights ever. Uh, it, it made me a top five featherweight wars. It, it you know, it, it could make it easily for rematches too. But again, I, I reference that fight and I talk about it so much in this podcast and it's made previous lists. Um, I, I left it off my list, but Aldo Mendez too is another one where you could argue that should be on everybody's list kind of a fight. Yeah, that one's on my list uh, of honorable mentions as well. That was a great one. I, I just watched that one earlier today, actually. And uh, I, I had forgotten how good it was. Um, but yeah, that one uh, that one was on my uh, honorable mention list for sure. I'm actually surprised we we got off to a rocky start. We both had the same number five, and then the rest of the list we were we were off, which is great. No, that's perfect. Actually, that's that's the best that you could because yeah. I knew we weren't going to escape crossover, so we did have crossover, but in the best way possible. But right I've heard a lot of your previous episodes like this, and there's a lot more crossover. So I'm I'm very proud of us, Dan. Yes, I'm very proud of us. Again, that, pat that, ourselves on the back. There we Barry go. Horowitz style. Well, yeah, again, that's, uh, back to the original point. That's why you, you took the sting off there with your number one for me not having it. It would have, it would have uh, maybe not, not looked so nice if, if we both had, didn't have that on there. But thankfully, you saved the list with that one, my friend. And that, that, but you had Diaz McGregor, too, so that, that, and that one wasn't on my list. And I think that if you ask anybody, those are like probably the two that end up on, on more, the most people's list, at least from a percentage standpoint. Yeah, it certainly represents a certain era, uh, not the not the traditional golden era of the sport, of course, but its own era, I think, as history um, will go on and continue. So just a, just a quick recap of the list from 5 to 1. Uh, I'll go first. I had 
we both had Thompson Melendez two uh, for my number four. I had Tate versus Rousey two. My number three Connor Nate two. My number two Hugh Saint Pierre two, uh, and my number one Machida versus Shogun two. What was yours again for the listeners recap from five to one, Aaron? All right, as you mentioned, number five Thompson Melendez two. That was the only one we had that was in concert. Number four Whitaker versus Romero two. Number three Edgar versus Maynard two. Number two Chandler versus Alvarez two, and number one was Rory versus Lawler two. Nice. Which was nice. so much better than the first fight, too. The first one was not very good. No, no, it, it wasn't. But uh, it, it just was, I just remember, you know, I, by the way, that head kick, I, I never felt like I was wobbling with a strike more than Robbie ro- wobbling in round three. Because because he won the first fight, uh, I actually bet Robbie really big as a dog. I'm like, what? They're going to make him a dog against a guy he already beat? Uh, which was another little interesting tidbit. The defending champ was a, was an un- underdog against a guy he uh, he'd already beat. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rob, Rory at the time was quite a bit younger, uh, and I think that he had a lot of momentum at that time, but yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, Aaron, I kind of burned one of my, uh, my, 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 honorable, my official honorable mentions. I mean, anything that didn't make the list is technically honorable mention, but uh, I, the videos that I do kind of allow me for two. So usually those top two ones I'll try to uh, dignify to give them their own dignification there. And Aldo Mendez too was one of them. But while I'm pulling up the listeners for our submission and transition, which which does technically come next, do you want to uh, burn some time with by, by by telling our listener of one that we didn't talk about yet that was almost there? Well, Hughes versus Trig two, as I mentioned, was one of was I think the last on my short list. And then Franklin versus Silva two was a surprisingly good fight. Um, you know, it was in Cincinnati in Franklin's backyard and Franklin started off looking pretty good. And then Silva went into like peak Silva mode and just started destroying him. <laughs> and, uh, yep. you know, the, the best part of that, this fight is at the end of the first round, if you go back and watch it, Goldberg is counting down like it's like New Year's Eve Yes, for Franklin to get out of there. He's like five seconds, four seconds. Cause Franklin's like back is up against the wall and Silva's hitting him in the plum, plum yep. clinch with all the knees and, and the, the massive right hand and the temple that dropped him. And like <laughs> Goldberg's counting it down. Like it's like, it's New Year's Eve. So great. And then there's a, another one of mine that I, that missed the cut was another great trilogy, which was, uh, um, Sam Stout versus, Spencer the King Fisher, number two. Yes, two. yes. That's my other Goldberg. So that's my favorite Goldberg nickname read is Spencer the King Fisher. Before. It's, uh, yeah, that was a good. The problem is I couldn't figure out which of that those three were the best. Yeah, and, I would argue. Sorry, I would argue that the second one was. But uh, mm-hmm. just, just to touch on these two that you, you pitched real quick. Uh, real quick, uh, the uh, Silva Franklin, too. I had that one written down here, and that was just cool because, you know, Silva's getting, like, booed. And, like, I think it's in mm-hmm. Ohio. It's such a big buildup. And people got to remember, Silva wasn't Silva yet. People weren't completely sold. And that's the fight where he really just does the full matrix, and you're just like, oh, that wasn't an accident. He really is just levels above this dude. Um, and, and the Franklin post-fight interview is really good, too, because Franklin's like, please don't boo this man. Don't yeah. boo this man. He's a true martial artist. And then he's like, I also don't know where I am right now. Oh, yeah, I'm in Cincinnati. Oh, I need to, I need to clear the cobwebs, Joe. <laughs> like he, was, yeah. he was totally out of it. Yes. He said, like, I just realized 30 seconds ago that we're in Cincinnati. Yeah. And that's like one of those so painful pleasant. Rogan interviews where he has to interview a knockout guy. But like, throughout <laughs> it all, Rich Franklin, he's like twice, is like, please don't boo this man. Yes. <laughs> because Franklin, like, as you know, is one of the classiest guys in MMA. So, I, I used to love rewatching the fights 
too back back in the day where like you only could get the Brazilian one off the internet and you would just hear like Jim Carrey and you're like they wouldn't even they wouldn't even say his name they would say Jim Carrey like multiple times in the broadcast like little tidbit for old school fans back in the day know what I'm talking about there but uh but yeah no and again another reminder with the the awkward Rogan interview again another reminder like as much as we criticize production and commentary go back and watch some of these older fights even of like quote-unquote, like, you know, gold standard guys, like, you're going to see a complete different level of professionalism or I would dare say unprofessionalism at times, right, Aaron? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rogan has to do it to the truck's telling him to. This is full head of hair, yes. Rogan, yes. back then. Yes. Yeah. And and your other one, uh, I'm glad you brought up um, Stout versus Fisher. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the one I was referencing earlier. I know we were talking about – oh, yeah, yeah, I was as far as – um. The, the, the argument of... Uh, you mentioned Tompkins. No, well, no, no. It was the argument of uh, Connor and Nate doing it again at 170. And this was the fight I was referencing because I, I do think the second fight, for what it was worth, was the best one. And there's argument between the first and the third. I like the first one, though, because Spencer Fisher clearly took it on short notice. You could just look at his physique from the first to the second. He took it on very short notice, and they were actually training together a little bit. It was a little bit overblown. They only went like a couple rounds, so they said, but they were in the same room training together. Um, at the time, Kenny Florian was actually injured with a back injury. He would later eventually face Sam Stout, but it was supposed to happen uh, back at a. Uh, it was supposed to happen back at USA versus Canada. Uh, that was it. That was, speaking of the first GSP BJ Penn fight, that was the USA versus Canada, and um, you actually heard some Canada cheers, but they were quickly overtaken by uh, USA cheers. Didn't matter. The Canadian won the first one, uh, but this one this one made more sense. Where the unprepared guy. Uh, Spencer Fisher lost the first one, and of course he was super motivated come the second one. You see Spencer Fisher in some of the best shape he's ever been in in that second fight. And you look at the timeline, he was actually training with Jens Pulver, uh, who was getting ready for BJ Penn. Uh, yeah, for the, the for the second BJ Penn fight, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So he had a he. I would argue he that benefited maybe Spencer Fisher a little more because he looked sharp as shit. But what I like about the first one though, Aaron, is that because Spencer Fisher was like didn't have his conditioning. It made him fight uglier and swing for the fences, but that also in turn made it a more exciting fight. Uh, not more exciting than the second one, but it just made that fight really exciting. But I'm glad you brought those those guys up. Yeah, that was a, that was a great trilogy as well, an underrated trilogy because it's not like it's not a, a fight that had very high stakes in any of the occasions, but still they still did it three times because of how good it was. So that's a, kind of a testament to those guys. Yeah, it's one of those pairings where it's like it sounds cliche, but and I and I do say this in the video about Thompson Melendez because I feel it applies to them too. But there are certain guys where you just pair them up at any time, and they're always going to put on a fun fight. I can't think of any UFC fights where. The stakes were so low, and they did three of them. Like, I think that might be the only one. I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think so, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, even, like, back in the day. But they were still, even though they weren't great trilogies, but they would involve big names, which maybe we'll, we'll touch on some of those. But that is definitely true. Before we before we hog it, hog it all, let's give some love to our listeners before we clean it with our honorable mentions. I got the old Twitter pulled up. And, uh, of course, it's at the PYM podcast on Twitter is where it gets posted from, of course, uh, I retweeted, repost, and all that stuff from from my own Twitter, which is at DanTomMMA. But the post I want you guys to reply to is always the at the PYM podcast post. Or use the hashtag ProtectYourNeckPodcast. I may make something easier. No one else uses that. And we have uh, you know more than 140 characters now, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if you ever just want to tweet it out and use the use the uh, hashtag, uh, give us a little free advertising there. And, and, and I, will, I will search that as well, which I, I will do here. But people that were posted, uh, hey, best fight pick, Stan Levy. You got to get him back on here for another top five. We did top five underdogs back in the day. 
Yeah, I like his podcast. I listen to that one every week too. Yeah, yeah. Shout shouts to uh, Dan Levy in half the battle. He has Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia. First time was fight of the year. Second time was submission of the year. Yeah, see, this was on my like list of research, but the first <laughs> one was so much better than the second one. Yes. I, I will say it, it did have that effect where, like, okay, there's no way it's going to be as good, um, kind of like your Alvarez Chandler 2. But uh, the difference being is that with with this one, again, kind of like what you were saying, Aaron, it's, it's a little it's a little bit uh, – it's a little bit – maybe too far of a, of a difference as far as like, oh, this one was a lot better than that one. So I could see it past there. Uh, we lost Aaron for a second here. Let's see if he comes back in. Maybe I can talk and fill and save me having to do it in another edit in case you folks have noticed those already with the, uh, with the episode. All right, sorry about that rough edit, folks. We are back. And uh, last where we left off, we were talking about... Uh, Best fight picks, at best fight picks submitted, Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia. And you were saying that it was a great second fight, but your only problem was there was too much of a distance between how, how historic and great that first one was to the second one, correct? Yeah, like I watched the rematch this past week when I was researching for this. And um, I just thought that the first one was so epic. And the second one, while it had an amazing finish with that twister, it, it wasn't as good of a fight. It was, I wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would say it was one of those. It's it's a similar archetype, like your Chandler Alvarez two, where the first one almost seems out of reach, um, but I would agree much more distance and and just kind of historical, uh, because for me, at least for me, I have that personal story where like that first uh, Garcia zombie fight was like my Bonner Griffin, where like I was at a party, no one was paying attention to the fights, uh, they were waiting for the Aldo Faber fight that was headlining later that night. I believe, and uh, it was just one of the things where, like, me and my buddy were watching, and then we start nudging the shoulders of other people. There was a poker game going in the background. Like, eventually, everybody stopped and was just watching the fight. So, for me, it's gonna always going to be a hard one to pick, but I would agree. Um, I had low expectations going into that second one, and for what it's worth, that second fight uh, exceeded the expectations, for what that's worth. Okay, fair enough. Um, Lawler McDonald 2, UFC 189. That's from Dan Schweitzer. Uh, at Schweitzer three two three two smart man, yeah he does that. That was the one that I saw and I was like ah when I first posted it because every time I, I always post these the day before right like I'll, I'll, I'll obviously get with you or the guest right Aaron beforehand but the day before we record I'll post it. There's always one that comes through where you're like ah oh, fuck how did I forget that one? <laughs> uh, Nick Baldwin from Bloody Elbow shouts to Nick at Nick Baldwin MMA. I got the obvious answer for you, but McGregor Diaz also Aldo Mendez too. There we go. Yeah, both mentioned, yep. All right. Uh, ah, Protecting Neck Podcast, regular jujitsu at Hip Hop Since 76. Lawler versus McDonald, two. Cejudo versus Mighty Mouse, two. Uh, you kind of just let, list off a bunch here, but, but uh, Liddell versus Couture, two. GSP versus Hughes, two. We covered that. Maynard versus Edgar, two. We ca- covered that. Stout versus Fisher, two. We just covered that. Um, and then he goes, special mention to the quadrilogy nobody asked for Orlovsky versus Sylvia. Wow, there were four of those? Jesus. Yeah, I do want to mention that one, though, because I, I have literally is like my fifth one I wrote down uh, because this was one of the first ones that come to mind um, always, actually, is Sylvia versus Orlovsky, too. Um, I have Liddell and, and uh, Couture written down, and I watched that one again recently, and it, I, it's, it's still really good. It still holds up, okay, but it's I, not, I, it, it doesn't have the prolonged, incredible uh, aura like a lot of the guys on my list do. Yeah, that one didn't do the same thing for me either. Uh, obviously, I'm a Randy Couture uh, uh, fan as well, but uh, you know, uh, it, I don't know. Maybe because I had to be like a hardcore uh, 
live. I was a, I was a casual at best back then, so perhaps I didn't get the full effect. But uh, I'm glad they me- mentioned the Sylvia Orlovsky too, though, because I that was one of the first fights. Uh, I remember their first fight actually made me an Orlovsky fan. I watched it. I ordered it in a hotel room in like 2006 or 2005, whatever the year was. But their rematch happened in 2006, and it's a classic one because it's one of those classic examples where you don't rush in when a guy's hurt, and we hear that oh, you know, he's still dangerous. And uh, we see we, there's a lot of examples, but this is one of the first OG examples where if you remember Arlovsky drops Sylvia like he did in the first fight, and you're like, oh, yeah, here yeah. we go again. And charges at him, yeah. He charges at him, and then it was the first it was our first glimpse of what we would get a bunch of uh, flatline Arlovskis. Because when Arlovsky went out, he went out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and Tim Sylvia, when you think about it, he was one of the most unique guys in the history of the sport. Just his footwork was so weird. Yes. Uh, he, was, he threw those lead jabs like in those lead hooks. And, like, he's just such an awkward fighter, and he was still managed to make it effective. So, shout uh, out to uh, Tim uh, Sylvia. And just to add to that point, the last thing, because I was rewatching this fight, and it's great because, you, you you know, you hear, like, the stories, like, he's the most booed fighter. Matt Serra with the classic joke before he was going to fa- face GSP in the rematch in Montreal. He goes, uh, you know, how you been preparing, Matt? He's like, I've been watching Tim Sylvia tapes to get me prepared for all the boos. <laughs> like, that's one of my favorite disses in MMA. Like, yeah. he just reaches randomly across the table to slap Sylvia, essentially. And it was true. Like, he was, like, that awkward guy. And, like, I had a friend, shout out to Bronson. He's been on this podcast before, one of my early MMA friends. And he was a Tim Sylvia fan. And, and I remember my friends would be like, Bronson's a Tim Sylvia fan, and I'm like, why is that so bad? And people are like, wait, watch this guy when he comes out. I'm like, the goofy penguin waddle guy? <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. like, Bronson, because exactly. like, dude, he's talented. Don't judge him for how he looks. And we just get, but it was true. And to add to that point, I don't know what the interview was. Perhaps you might know you're, you're real savvy on these things too, Aaron, or what podcast it might have been. But I remember, and it wasn't one of Pat Melitich's. I know he does his own podcast, but he was being interviewed by somebody, and he, they were talking about, he was talking about old gym stories, but essentially was talking about how Tim Sylvia, like people even in the gym didn't believe in him. Like he was the yeah, punching yeah. bag sparring <laughs> bomb partner. This, yeah. And it sounded yeah. kind of cruel. And of course, you know, they're all retired. They've accomplished great things. So they can joke about it now. But even in real time, now keep in mind, folks, Tim Sylvia already captured the heavyweight belt before this. Okay. This was actually his second time winning it. Uh, he lost it, obviously, to Orlovsky. Now he wins it back in the rematch. Right, guys? And... The, the 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 best part was is they cut to Matt Hughes and uh, repeatedly by the way to Matt Hughes and Pat Miletic and they're looking at each other and you know Aaron there's there's some looks where people they don't need to say anything but you know exactly what they're saying like when a guy gets knocked out and he's looking up confused he doesn't have to say what the fuck like we can read it on his face well if you go back and watch like the post fight after Tim Sylvia wins like Matt Hughes is just smiling ear to ear like to Miltich, and they're doing the smile while they're shaking their head no, almost the thing where it's going. <laughs> I cannot believe this. Did this fucking guy just win? And they're 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 literally communicating. Yeah, this fucking guy just. I don't believe it. I don't fucking believe it either. <laughs> they don't say that, Aaron. But if you go back, anybody the body language back, is there. It's the most clearest. I would be willing to bet fucking money that that's what they were saying it's the funniest thing they can't even believe their own guy won like this is great like that's how he's just one of these guys that performed on the lights run right except when he was against ray mercer one of the worst examples of uh of mma ever where people were like oh boxer can condemn mma and knock a guy out dude that you know what want to feel old that was a decade ago we're a couple months shy of that being a decade old that's insane jesus um anyways i'm gonna fire off this list uh keep firing down here um Iceman Wim Hof, hot balls Chuck at Braz Chuck. He says, tried to go off the beaten path 
a bit, as I do. Yes, you do. Limited myself to one fight from each org. Look at, look at the big brains on Brad. Mm-hmm. Good organization there. Fuck, dude. He's, he's, he's going hard. He's showing us up. Okay, he has Aldo Mendez, too. Thank you for having it on your top five. It, it, it would Again, it would have been on another one that would have been on my top five if I don't. I just talk about that fight way too damn much. Um, Wandy Rampage, too, which didn't make my list, but that's always a fun card and fight, right? I mean, that was Pride 28, high octane, I think. It, it, I just remember it being on Halloween. I mean, what a way for a Halloween. What a knockout on Halloween, right? For that to Absolutely. happen, and the fucking tie clench and the hanging over the rubs deadened. Um, so I can't hate it for that. Wow, this is a really old school one. Uh, Pancrase, I believe. Funaki Rutin 2. Yes. Uh, now, now Matsukatsu Funaki, I, 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 I haven't rewatched this one in a while, but I actually did a deep dive. Not, not a deep, as in like I put an article out, but uh, more of a rabbit hole I went on about last year. I was trying to do like a mount. You know, what's the Mount Rushmore of women's fighters? What's the Mount Rushmore of Japanese fighters? What's the Mount Rushmore of whatever, right? We can do it so many ways, kind of like this top five list. And I was doing a similar thing for, like, uh, pro wrestlers because I was really studying into the era where it went from, you know, the shoot fighting, Japanese shoot, to their version of, you know, pro wrestling and how that translated into the Pancrase era. And when we talk about MMA's pro wrestling roots... You end up back to this era. You end up back to Japan. That's where this stronghold and connection actually happens for you MMA history nuts out there. And because, uh, you know, pro wrestling is being – I'm not a big pro wrestling guy. I don't hate on it. But at the same time, uh, I, I do like to remind people who do hate on it how much it has a connection to our – a legitimate connection to our sport. Oh, for sure. And Masukatsu Funaki, I would argue, is on – he made my oh, – as like a one or two. I mean, he, if you really go back and look at that guy's history from what he transferred over, uh, he's not just, you know, it's real easy to look back and not know anything about the era. Oh, Boss Rutten beat some Japanese pro wrestling can. Like, it wasn't the same thing back then, especially in, like, an organization and the rule set of a Pancrase. Like, the, you know, the, I'm not saying there wasn't fixes in Pancrase. We all know those stories, too. I'm not saying that, folks. But this was a legitimate fight, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, so shouts to that one. Yeah, I went back and watched that one, actually, as part of my research, too. Oh, okay. And, and you know what another good one is from a – did he do a WEC one? Uh, br- yeah. His actually, by the way, that his was Brown Faber too, the WEC one. And that was my next honorable mention. Again, uh, I guess everything's an honorable mention that doesn't make the list, but I have to pick my top two. And it was Aldo Mendez too, which he also has on his list. Shout out to Brad. And he's got uh, Brown Faber too. Uh, that was my there's number. A, there's a better one though. Okay. There's a better one than Brown Faber too. Okay. Cerrone, Cerrone Varner too was unbelievable. Yes, but the, the the controversial ending, no? Or no, that was the first one. No, that one. was a decision. Yeah, the controversial ending was the first That's one. That's right, the first one. Yeah, no, you're right. That was a – oh, shit, I forgot all about that one. Yeah, it's a good Fucking one. Fucking A, I, I didn't hear that one written that down. One. Nice. Well, I just want to say real quick, Brown Faber too. That was not only my honorable mention, but that was actually sitting at my number five for a minute. I ended up knocking it off for Gil Melendez-Thompson like you, sir. But uh, that's just because I like Mike Brown. I don't feel like he never gets enough credit in general for his championship run. And now you look at he's helping how many champions now in the corners of. It's ridiculous. This guy yeah, still doesn't highest, get enough credit. Probably the highest level fighter to be in a corner, like to be a, like a prolific corner man. Yeah, and I mean, and it's, it's not even – it's like ATT regulars – uh, veterans of the sport, women, uh, specialty cases, like literally everything that's come through that gym, he's he's coached. You know, there are certain segments, there are certain clicks, even in gyms like those, it's going to be natural. But he literally crosses like all the check marks. And even back as a fighter, I mean, he, you know, we all remember Aldo beating Faber, right, at 48 with the leg kicks. But 
Mike Brown was the original guy to knock off the California kid. Twice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, twice. And and, 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 and people forget how dominant Uriah was back then. Yes. Nobody thought anybody was going to beat Uriah at 145. No, nobody. I mean, even in the rematch, in the rematch, uh, Mike Brown, it closed. He was still an underdog. I mean, yeah. he was not getting any respect. At least until Aldo started tearing through everybody. And you're like, yeah, this yes. guy's going to beat people. Yeah, and that was funny. <laughs> After that post fight, they go, what do you think of this guy, Jose Aldo? And he's like, oh, he's really good, and he's giving him his credit. Like he knew exactly who Aldo was, and it's just kind of a fortuitous thing. And and Mike Brown never really recovered. Then he was losing to like one thirty fivers. Not that you know losing on Honey Yaya later in your career is not a, a shame, but you know it just wasn't the same for him. And history never went back to him. And now you got guys like Matt Mitrione or even other newer guys using the simple man walkout. That's Mike Brown's entrance. God damn it! Give this man some respect. He had a dominant fucking run through that division. He did, absolutely. And I think three-round Aldo might be one of my favorite fighters. You know how they have, like, C-level Kane and all that? Three-round yes. Aldo is one of my guys. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, that, Because now we're realizing that three-round Aldo is who most of us fell in love with. Uh, just absolutely. Just real, real quick, want to finish off his list. Well, look at his number five. Melendez Thompson, too, there. So, solid, solid, Brad. Not that I need to fucking compliment your ass anymore, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, for contributing, sir. Uh, shouts to the MMA analysis too. Uh, 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 you know, of course, uh, another uh, solid MMA podcast for the hardcores. Um, yeah, I did a Reddit MMA. I did a Reddit AMA today and shouted you guys out and I shouted out the MMA analysis. So props to you guys. What the hell you shout me out for? Thank you, but that that makes sense to, to shout them out though. So so yeah yeah. Props to those guys. Um, no, thank you though. Honestly, I just I hate I suck taking compliments. Dana Walters at Dane Downey Jr. Uh, Crow Cop versus Silva too. That, that that one is, is not a bad rematch, um, but it actually made a top five list for me. It made my top five kick KOs, so uh, it, it, it nice. definitely wouldn't crack mine here, but not a bad choice. Yeah, do you have any pride uh, ones on your on your list? I was wondering about that because I th- remember I asked you if a, if a third fight in the trilogy could make it, and I had uh, Nogira versus Fedor 3 in there was on my short list, but then we, uh, okay. we decided to just go with rematches. Even the second, even the rematch that ended in like a no contest between uh, yeah. Nogira and uh, Fedor was really good for as long as it lasted. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, that, that one was really good, but it ended with the weird way. Uh, Couture Belfort wasn't good while it lasted. It just ended right away in a weird way with an, you know, another cut. Uh, eyelid cut there, speak, you know, which we're, we're, Yikes. <laughs> we're realizing that eyelid cuts are, are real serious when they do happen. Uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, no, that was a good one. I got some private ones on here that I'll, I'll get to. Uh, that I'll get to if the listeners don't touch on it. Um, hold Alberto Lara at Betito uh, Aram, Jose Aldo Jr. versus Chad Mendez. Both fights were fire. Yep, we covered those. Spinning shit MMA at Spinning shit MMA. Stout versus Fisher. Good choice. We covered that. GSP versus Sarah. Uh, he wrote Sierra, which is awesome. Uh, good choice. We covered that. Uh, Weidman versus Silva didn't make my list because of and, you know not that it's a bad one, but because of the ending. Uh, noodle like right. don't like that one. Yeah, exactly. Chuck versus Tito. Um, I mean, it was more definitive than the first one, but they, they just kind of both felt like. And I don't know. I wasn't a hardcore at the time, so I can't fully say. But they felt pretty fortuitous, and from the people on the inside, kind of knew it was going to go that way yeah. too. Well, you know what? The, the Liddell one that was on my list was uh, at the top was uh, Rampage versus Liddell too, because but that was one of the ones where I remember when I watched it, the importance of it was like yes. so much higher than it is now. And when you go back and watch it, it's like it's a good fight, but not like an incredible fight. But at the time, it was incredible. It, it was yeah, very true. The lot of st- your word stakes. The stakes were were great. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. now, now they're going to fade on even ground in a non-tournament setting in the octagon, right? Yeah. Let's see what happens this time. Uh, Endorphin at Endorphin one. 
Blades slash Ninganu tops my list because of the narrative. I was sure Blades was on the way up and Ninganu on the way down, but Ninganu did in seconds what he couldn't do in two rounds just two years ago against Blades, who hadn't beat Hunt and Overeem yet. That's a solid I think we'll argument. see a trilogy there. Yeah, I think we'll see a trilogy there too. I think so too. Even though like the, the both fights were pretty definitive for Ninganu, I think that the, when you see what Blades did to Justin Wells, he's going to be around. Yep. Last one from Twitter here before we move on to Facebook and we'll be done with the with the, this section. Enigma Fight Picks at Enigma Fight Picks. Some of my favorite modern day rematches. McGregor Diaz, good one we covered. Um, Aldo Holloway, we didn't cover, but that that that's you know uh, the same result, fight. but the same good Aldo, fight. Yeah. Aldo looked good in uh, in parts of that fight for sure. Yeah, you could argue, you know, uh, he had a bigger moment in the first fight, but he looked good for more parts in that fight, you could argue, because he just brought the dog out in him. Um, Poirier versus Alvarez, too. I, I wrote that down, but uh, just for, even though I don't feel the injury is controversial, I feel like the right guy won just with those things, those kind of hiccups in there kind of tainted, and it was a recent one, but not, not a bad pick. Uh, TJ versus Cody, uh, you know, again, same winner, kind of same way, too. So, I mean, not a bad pick, but it just it didn't, it didn't hit me. Uh, DC versus Jones. I thought about this one, and it's it's one of my favorite Jones performances. But again, there 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 are tainted issues with that that kind of ruined it for me a bit. And the first one was better, I think. Yeah, and especially because the build up and stakes. I mean, DC was the was the pick of me and many for. I mean, there wasn't many guys you you saw beating John Jones, but yeah. DC was one of the few names at this time where people weren't going to completely call you crazy for thinking. Yeah, the rematch. I don't think people were sold. I don't think people were were sold on on Cormier even in the, in the rematch there after we saw what happened in the first one. Yep, yep. Uh, Bisping Hendo, which which we covered uh, already. Blockwitz Manawa, some love on that one. Uh, that, that that was one of the more one of my more accurate. Uh, yeah, I had that one also in, in mind. That that uh, that second one, I, I like that rematch. Yeah, it was a good fight. It was it, a good fight. And uh, I was I was I think I was one of the few people who took took Blockwitz on the on the junkie stat picks on that one too. I think Manawa was still stock was still was still pretty. Uh, was was still pretty high there. Uh, gonna jump over to ju- gonna jump over to Facebook here in a sec. But uh, was there anyone that we haven't uh, mentioned yet uh, on on your list? Honorable mentions that we didn't get to. Uh, yeah, let me take a look here. Uh, I mentioned Fedor Nogueira, Liddell Rampage two, uh, Hua Henderson two. We didn't really touch on, but I, I did mention it earlier. And Sun and Silva two, because. Uh, obviously, with the, the lead up to that one was so huge because of what Sonnen did in the first one, and then Sonnen did it again in the first round of the second fight, and then he threw some 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 bad spinning stuff in the second round, and uh, Silva capitalized and beat him. But th- that that was a good rematch as well. Yep. Yeah. No. No. I, I think I wrote that down for honorable mention. We talked about Chuck Tito too. All right. I'm on Facebook in the Junkie Radio Combat Chat. Shout out to the Junkie Nation. Uh, Oklahoma Knowles, Mike Knowles, regular listener of the podcast. Not only are these great fights, but they are all title fights that meant a lot to the MMA landscape when they happened. One, Frankie versus Gray, both. So he's with you on, on those, on, on that one there. Uh, Lawler McDonald, yep, we talked about that one, good one. Aldo versus Mendez, he has another good one. Eddie versus Chandler, he's with you on that one too. Oklahoma knows lines up with you pretty well. Uh, and uh, Hendricks versus Lawler. Um, what was your opinion on Hendricks versus Lawler too? God, I can't remember. I think what I, I think I thought that Hendricks won the first one. Was who who won the first one? The first one was H- basically. Hendricks. I think that the basically. I think that the opposite person won. Me too. Uh, the, Me too. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. How, exactly. That, that, that's what strikes me about that one. Yeah, <laughs> and, I thought the opposite person won each fight. Yep. And I would, and and again, not not, not crapping on the pick because it was a good fight. But I would argue, splitting hairs, that. Um, the first fight was more, was a better fight too because 
the second fight, not only, you know, the, the results of both the side, but the second fight, you essentially have almost a lull in the first three rounds. Like, most yeah. of the action happens in run, round one and five. And thankfully for Robbie Lawler, he was the winner of those action rounds. So I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's probably how he ended up getting a decision there. But the first one I felt was a much more competitive fight. There was more stakes because we didn't know how they were going to match up. Right, and then it ends up being a really good fight. Two southpaws. They're doing that thing where they're slugging it uh, in the pocket. They're doing much more of those pocket exchanges in the first fight, and then it comes down to uh, I think everybody's in a consensus. Even though people like me and you think the wrong guy may have won, we were all in consensus that the fifth round probably decided it and uh, could have decided it. And and you knew even if you think that Robbie won, that was a crucial takedown that Hendricks gets at the end there, and uh, so that. I really like their first fight, so that's probably why I wrote it down, but that's why I didn't make my list. Absolutely. All right, and then last one, uh, last one here. Noah Hubs, an outside thought is, oh, Kikuchi versus Aoki too. What a fight. Wow. Uh, that's a deep pull. That's a deep pull over there, I believe, one, I believe, right? But Or that's earlier on in Aoki's career. I got to go refresh I was thinking, I was thinking Aoki versus uh, Alvarez too, but it was pretty lopsided. It was, yes, it was. Uh, that was, he was the last person up until uh, timestamping this episode up until last weekend to beat Alvarez in the first round. Alvarez uh, never lost in the first round uh, before in his career, uh, except to Aoki before this, before recently. Speaking and Nasty Yukin, yeah, getting yep. it done. Yep, that's right. Um, okay, uh, here's one that almost made my list actually that I don't think anybody mentioned yet: Mir versus Nogueira too, UFC 140. You know, well, that was a good one, yeah. I like that one because that was the one where Nogira almost had Mir and then Mir reversed it and got the sub. Is that right? That's yeah, one yeah. He was, yeah, yeah. He was, was dazed on autopilot. He autopilot like swept and, and broke the arm. It was insane. Yeah. And and you also got to remember the stakes. I mean, you know, Nog was the guy who takes a licking and keeps on ticking. No one stops him. And then at UFC 192, it just like, again, crushing. This was like, you know, around this time, you know, you think like, you know, Fedor, I think Fedor hadn't even been beat at this time. So we're talking about the nostalgia of guys like Machida, Anderson Silva, which you have to keep in mind for certain picks. And by the same token, even though uh, Noguera wasn't like a top title contender, he was in the mix and he was a guy that couldn't be stopped. And when Frank Mir knocked him out, or stopped him, you were just like, what the fuck? There is no Santa Claus, right? But then yeah. you're like, wait, Noguera had staff. He had all these injuries. And you're like, no, that makes sense. Noguera's a warrior. He's not one to make excuses. Yeah, that probably did happen. So there was a little bit of the back to what you said, not being sold, right? And I believe this one goes down in Canada as well. They have the rematch. And you go, and, and Noguera starts piecing him up. It almost looks like the beginning of the, 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 the Brendan, his fight with Brendan Schaub. Oh, it's over. This is what was supposed to happen. Noguera was right. He was sick the first time. This is the fight that's supposed to happen. Nope. And it was one of the yep. most brutal arm breaks. And I would argue, not that just... That is a good one. Not just cementing Frank Mir as a, one of the best submission fighters, but I would argue that that actually cemented him, even though he was already a, a champion, that actually cemented him as a heavyweight great, where you can go back and talk about the heavyweight greats of eras, and you can mention a guy like Frank Mir and not get the Frank Mir face because of fights yeah, that's, like that. That's a really good pick. I like that one. Yeah, it almost made it. It was it was one that when I wrote it down, I thought was going to be on the list for sure and ended up getting moved off. Um, Cruz Faber too it was a big rematch with a lot of stakes. You know, you you mm-hmm. talk about stakes. That one was a big one for that. It didn't tickle my pickle so much, so it didn't make my list. But I felt that it was worth mentioning. Dillashaw Brow too is another good example of that because uh, it's another one of those ones where you're not sold because TJ like destroyed Brow. But like maybe you thought Brow had an off night. Remember Brow was like an eight or nine to one favorite in that fight. Yep. Then they come back and Dillashaw's a dog again, and Dillashaw just pieces him up. Exactly. 
Uh, here's a Bellator one that almost made my list, but then I realized realized that it was a third fight because their first fight actually happened outside of the organization early in their career. I don't know if you stumbled onto Daniel Strauss versus Pat Curran. Oh yeah, that 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 doesn't uh, didn't occur to me. That's a good one. And uh, Lesnar Mir two UFC one hundred stakes, and that that's a big one. I wouldn't know mm-hmm, hate for it, sure. You know for that. Uh, you you asked for pride. My last two here. Uh, one is is K one. The other is Pride. Um, Kerr versus Vovchanchin two. Uh, it was a, it was a oh, big that one was a good one because they yeah. had a controversial fight the first time, and Volchanson should have been the first guy to dethrone Mark Kerr. And Mark Kerr, uh, if you remember, I mentioned him. He's my top five uh, Mike Tyson uh, archetypes. Uh, yeah, he's a beast. He was a beast. Yeah, exactly. Total beast. And and he, we all know why he fell off and had and he would lose to I believe Fujita ended up being the first person to beat him. So by the time Volchanson beat him, Volchanson was only the second person to beat him. I, I feel like it took a little bit away, so, and and it still went to a decision. So it wasn't a great fight from Kerr. So I left it on there. But you know I'm a Volchanson fan. That was the one pride and the last one for me. I'll, I'll shut the f up here. Um, Gracie Sakuraba too was an important one, but it was one of those. It was just was it was all it was an important one for the wrong reasons, you know. Uh, it was the first time that oh Gracie uh, finally got a decision, but it was a lackluster fight. You could tell by Hoyce's uh, head he didn't w- think he won the fight at all. It was a controversial decision, and then they both tested the same way, except one guy pops and one guy doesn't. Of course, that was Hoyce, and we would not see Hoyce again until his uh, trilogy fight with Ken Shamrock in Bellator. You know, like 10 years later. So that was kind of like a black eye kind of a moment. So, uh, But I have to write it down and at least acknowledge it. Mm-hmm, fair enough. <sighs> That's it for me, man. Anything you, anything we, we missed that you, you, wanna, you, want, you, you, you want to mention? Any fights? We missed uh, the phenomenal knockout that uh, Hoist Gracie scored over Ken Shamrock in their rematch. But uh, I think we can move past that one. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hoist. Oh Probably the gosh, worst rematch. Hoist. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, We've by the way. There. By the way, shout out to Mike Knowles who contributed it earlier. He uh, he, not even a tweet; it was a Facebook thing. Regardless of tweet, whatever social media, I appreciate when you guys say, "Hey, you know, he was on his way to the Philly card and he was listening to the breakdown on the way." Like that stuff means the world to me, man. So thank you guys for these shouts and shares and listens. Really appreciate it. This was this was a fun list. How did, how did you like your first top five list, Aaron? I'm happy to do it again. I know you know that I have my topic in mind that we discussed, so hopefully we can do that during International Fight Week. Yep, yep. Hint, hint. It's kind of the opposite of a topic that we just mentioned slash I already covered. So it'll it'll bring some nice balance to the force when that one comes around. So look forward yeah, I'm to excited that. Excited about it. Yep, definitely. Uh, Aaron, anything you want to plug before we get out of here, my friend? Uh, the TSN MMA show. Subscribe, review, all that jazz, and uh, follow me on Twitter at Aaron Bronstetter. Yep, great follow, great interviews, and. Uh, Aaron's been around for a minute, but I would argue, man, you've been, you've only, you, you still continue to evolve and you're, you're only producing better and better work, especially killing it this last year, man. So, so good on you, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys. As per usual, Amazon, iTunes, and on it, uh, you know, uh, subscribe on iTunes, or I should say, click through the Amazon and on it banners at makesmarshallanalyst.com. Uh, don't worry, I'm still hacking away through this, this list, guys. We're going to be available on more platforms than just iTunes. But if you don't have iTunes, again, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Smartphone-friendly players. If you can play it, you can exit out. You can go to your Tinder and your Twitter while the podcast is still playing. It's not one of those dedicated players that's going to keep you trapped. Like you, can, you can shut your phone off and listen to it like, like you have iTunes, even if you're not an iTunes fan. But if you are an iTunes fan, some 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 uh, haven't gotten any ratings or reviews recently. So, so shoot some of those if you don't mind. Always appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining me again. Aaron will be back next week with a breakdown episode because it's a UFC pay-per-view. But we'll be back with some more top fives. 
going to have some returning guests, whether it's uh, Jordan Killian, Dan Levy, uh, more down the pipe. And, and we'll be having you back come summertime, Aaron. So until then, enjoy the weekend. Get outside. Enjoy a weekend free of MMA. You don't have to timestamp this episode any further. But always, most importantly, protect your neck.